Welcome to the Game of Thrones podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for Game of Thrones on HBO. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And we watched season two, episode four, titled Garden of Bones, not too long ago. You know we did. We did. Uh, I watched it twice, as a matter of fact. Whoa. Yeah. because <laughs> uh, you to fell make... asleep in the first time? or <laughs> No. Wants to make my outline, wants to uh, color it in, let's say. F- fill in the stuff between the descriptions of the scenes did you did you did you stay stay within the lines uh mostly yeah. all right uh, I, I follow the rules pretty much well that uh, sounds boring yeah what'd you think of this episode i, th- I thought it is better than our tortured metaphor for yeah. watching and podcasting the episode uh i like it i think this is like i forgot about this part of Tyr- peak Tyrion. Like, 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 I thought we had, you know, we're going to have to resort to fracking to get the rest of the peak Tyrion out from the, the, the marrow of the season. And, like, you know, our engineers win another 50 feet, and <laughs> another gusher of peak Tyrion comes flying out. <laughs> his, his utter destruction of Lancel is yeah, amazing. Him coming in and fucking cutting Joffrey's dick off at court, amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I re- and and Papa, Papa Lannister comes back. We're, yeah. we're graced with 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 Tywin uh, putting his own smack down on a bunch of incompetent, uh, murderous lackeys. It's uh, I, I I liked it. I liked it. Yeah, it's I guess been a while since we've seen Tywin. Yeah, yeah. Have we seen him in season two? I don't even remember. I don't think so. Last time we saw okay. him, he was uh, given given Tyrion his walking papers or yeah. his marching papers rather. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think this is notable because it's one of those episodes that really expands our world like not since Danny miraculously survived the fire have we seen you know something this like holy shit this is a game changer such as Melisandre giving birth to this shadow baby for for purposes unknown yeah um but it's another like that's this is the first kind of one of the first curveballs the show throws at the people who are attracted to the uh, house of cards aspect of the of the goings on here at game of thrones like Uh i've never seen frank do that uh (laughs) what do you think yeah i i largely agree i really enjoyed this episode um i'm I, i find myself cringing at some things because i know what's coming up for some of these characters uh, this being the nature of the rewatch, but yeah. um, other than that, like it's it's not it's not any worse for that. Um, it's just like, oh man, why are you making some of the decisions you're making, people? Right. Uh, but yeah, ultimately, it's really good. And like you said, Tyrion's always a pleasure to watch. Um, I I actually think that Tywin is a pleasure to watch as well. Mm-hmm. Um, even though he's, you're not really rooting for him, right? Whereas you are rooting for Tyrion, I think. I think it's not too difficult to root for Tywin because the I've got this idea that if Tywin was sitting on the Iron Throne, the people would have a pretty good time. Okay. Like, like I think there'd be more misery in the lords and ladies of Westeros, but mm-hmm. I think the mm-hmm. like the, the the people like he's going to make sure they're they're fed and protected, and the wagons run on time, and shit. He might even get old Jor a couple more men. Uh, you know, I, I just feel yeah. like that he's such a great plotter and administrator that mm-hmm. even if he is a lawful evil character, uh, better lawful evil than what would Bobby B be chaotic, good or Joffrey chaotic, neutral or Joffrey who's chaotic evil, you know? So yeah. sometimes it's, it's, it's all right to, to root for lawful evil. Yeah. One thing we know Tywin is not good at is fighting battles. 
waging war, apparently, because he's getting his ass kicked by Rob. Yeah, he is. Just up and down Westeros. Uh, and, and it was it was interesting to see that they don't even show us the battle this episode, right? Like, a battle clearly happens, and we see the aftermath, and we see the, the um, start of it, but we don't see the battle itself. Yeah, and it's such a huge contrast between things that happen later, and, you know... This is all budget where, like, the Double Ds at first can only afford uh, a, a, a splash or two of, of amazing. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, predictably, as you get further in the series, and, you know, I guess shoot me if you consider this a spoiler, the budget increases. <laughs> uh, Game of Thrones is watched Things by 100 million amazing. people worldwide. HBO has money shooting out of all their orifices, and they decide to blow a little bit on Game of Thrones seasons, and as a result is much more spectacle. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but it's, that was, a like, I kind of... But but it's funny because that's a lot of the experience in the books hmm. that I don't think George likes writing battles. A lot of things in the books go down like 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 he will lovingly tell the tale of Ned getting beheaded because that's a smaller, intimate, you know, the crowd shouting. Right. And like duels, like for example, uh um Braun versus, you know, Goofus Gallant from the Vale. Uh, I forget his actual name. Uh, he'll he'll go in to describe that, but like a big old, you know, a couple that like I feel like George does, is himself is bored with them. Okay, I can see that. It's it's not a particularly interesting thing, right? Yeah. Like, tell us why they're fighting. Tell right. us who wins. But I guess you don't have to describe in detail every sword swing. Right. Well, that's the thing. It's like you know, there's two schools. The the uh, I, I like. Like, like for example, it's the it's the Dan Carlin approach to warfare versus like the Hank Green mm-hmm. or John Green approach to world the warfare in, in Crash Course World History. John Green's like, I'm talking about the effects that these battles had on the sides that fought and the long term political and historical ramifications. Where Dan Carlin's like, yeah, 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 yeah. Let me tell you what it feels like to be at the Battle of the Somme. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna spend an hour and forty minutes making sure that you feel the full weight of the terror and 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 the blood and the violence that these men uh went through yeah which one's right which one's wrong well game of thrones feels to me more like the former exactly yeah exactly which if that's what george is going for then he seems to have nailed it (laughs) yeah uh thus far anyway yeah why don't we get into the recap yeah i want to start before you get to recap um one thing i noted in the uh uh, the, the 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 titles. What do you call that? The credit sequence. Uh-huh. When they get around to showing Hall, it's the only location that is completely dead and inert. Hmm. Like, no clockwork anything pops out. No little flags unfurl. It just sits there like a, the ruined heap it is. And it's I think that's nice interesting touch. how they set that apart. And it's also echoed when we finally see it. Like, it's as close to a haunted location as we've ever seen in Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there, that's it. Now you can get to recap. Okay. Uh, before we get to the episode, I want to talk about some things that are happening this week on Bald Move. Uh, we got Blade Runner 2049 as a first-run movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, the spoiler-free review and mention of upcoming movies is free. If you want to hear the whole thing, you got to be a club member at club.baldmove.com. Speaking of that, we got a Quit Your Pitching coming out tomorrow. Uh, also, Jim and I, we've gotten a lot of email about this, a lot of forum interest. We are covering Stranger Things Season 2, and we are in process of recording all retrospective episodes of season one that we're going to drop like two weeks before the premiere hits. And then our plan is to the week before have like a season three preview or season two preview. And then our goal is to cover the entirety of season two over that opening weekend and have all our podcast <laughs> out as so some sort of marathon. Yeah. They're instant take format. Yeah. 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 
um, with less slight modification. But yeah, they'll basically be instant takes, not like the full two hour marathon right. Game of Thrones podcast. So right, but I'm excited about that. Uh, Cecily and I are still holding down the fort over on American Horror Story Cult Land. Uh, boy, Mr. Robot has snuck up on us. Uh, yeah. It's coming out next Wednesday, not this Wednesday, next Wednesday. Uh, we'll, of course, have episode-by-episode coverage of that. Those will be out on Fridays. Those will be out on Fridays. And then also want to mention, because um, people a lot of times email us and say, uh, boy, we like your shows, but the, you are, you're just clogging our subscription feeds with them. Uh, we have these things we call Firehose feeds, where you can get, uh, you can download like essentially everything the Bald Move comes out with in in a, in a nice little list. It keeps it all together as a bald move feed. Uh, you can go to our website and click on podcast for those different feed options. So that's, that. again, if, if you subscribe to multiple of our shows or you want to always get the latest and greatest, and there's an ad-free premium version of that for club members, and then the regular version for everybody else. Uh, but check it out on baldmove.com. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Oh shit! I almost forgot the big, the, the the biggest thing. Uh, new Star Trek. Yeah, new Star Trek. Jim came out first uh, one in like a decade, and we've we've seen it, and we have thoughts. We're going to be doing a Bald Moo TV later this week about the first three episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you've been clamoring for that, and I know a lot of people have, uh, stay tuned. It's on going to be on the Bald Move TV feed. Uh, we start off with the Lannister troops arguing about who the best knight is and who would win in a fight. Uh, that that kind of stuff seems to happen all the time the whether it's medieval it. yeah. or whether it's 2017 people are going to argue about who's the best at fighting people people love debate and it also like in our current society it's the greatest of all time debates you know jordan lebron sure. or yeah uh, which is essentially just who would win in a fight exactly yeah. yeah i mean yeah or football you know is it is it john l or is it you know uh fucking billy Joe Montana, joel or john, john. Elway or tom brady or yeah yeah <laughs> it's like people like to debate what's the best because it's a it's a harmless way to kind of I don't know, like get away without arguing real things like politics or religion. Although I guess in medieval times, it's kind of the same. Uh, sort of, yeah. Like if our guy can beat up their guy, then mm-hmm. might makes right. Am I right? Is my king better than your king? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty much. My king can kick your king's ass, buddy. And I got 100,000 <laughs> of my mates here to prove it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, 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 it is interesting. It is my least favorite form of discussion to have in regards to Game of Thrones. Absolutely. Just premature, pre, pre what do you call that? Prophylactically shutting down the, the email <laughs> debates. All right. Uh, so the this guy, I don't know, says he sees something in the woods and rips a giant fart, uh, which turns <laughs> out he shouldn't have been joking around because Rob's wolf attacks them and this off-screen battle begins. Afterward, um, Rob is victorious. Roose says, hey, we won the battle, but we can't keep all the survivors prisoners because we don't have food for them. And he plans to torture the officers. Rob says they're not going to torture anyone because essentially he doesn't want to give an excuse for the Lannisters to torture his sister. The um, Lannister army didn't get that memo. I mean, they're not torturing memo? a sister, but they're 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 torturing plenty of people. Uh, they are, yeah. And Joffrey is kind of torturing his sister anyway. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Like, that's I, what... I don't know that taking the high road is the right way, like Ruth says, you know? Yeah, yeah, no. I think this episode is kind of... Well, I mean, 
not like like if Rob tortures back, yeah. it's not like it stops it. So I mean, I think the the argument against torture is basically a it doesn't work. Uh, and B, it's and just most circumstances, yeah. and B, there's a moral cost to you and your side for doing it, right? And it has nothing to do with like, well, we don't want the other people. I mean, that's certainly if you're debating or you're fighting a civilized society, maybe you could say that. But mm-hmm. you know, you're fucking. I mean, if the winner is the person who takes the lowest road, uh, long term, that's a terrible strategy yeah. for everyone involved. Yeah. Except for, I guess, the lord who's taking the lowest road. Yeah. yeah. And when you're talking about, like, ultimately very long historical timelines, the side of evil almost never wins. Well, it never wins, because hmm. everyone eventually dies, and their reign <laughs> okay. of terror ends. And then the side of good never wins either, Well, because everyone dies. Yeah, you're right. The universe uh, <laughs> is full, is dark and full of terrors and doesn't give a shit. Yep. But I'm talking about, you know, human scales, I think that matters, because, uh, you know, happiness and, and justice and freedom are better than, than slavery and, and mm-hmm. malice and pain. So Not according to Roos. Bruce That's is true. all about flaying people. That's true. He's all in favor of flaying others, though. See? Yeah. It's like he doesn't, like, uh, okay, Roos, what do you got? What do you got planned? What do you got? I, I don't trust you all of a sudden. Let's uh, put you, let's flay you first. <laughs> so I, I, I can see the efficacy of it. No, I don't think he'd be in favor of that. Uh, Rob spots this female field medic named Talisa. Uh, she says it a little differently. Talisa? Talisa or something. Sure. Um, and helps amputate this guy's foot. And then she gives Rob some shit about waging war and killing people and how this, this kid was a uh, victim of that. Rob's sort of, I guess, intrigued by how she's standing up to him, is how I would describe this. And and also, she's she's a looker. Oh, well, of course, yeah. <laughs> Although she's covered in goat's I did, blood I, I just think that if she, if, if she was like a fucking stereotypical woods witch, just right. like, oh, Lord, why do you think you're, you know, it's like, this boy was <laughs> the poor for meeting you. He had been like, shut up, winch. But, <laughs> right. you know, looking Bruce, like. Bruce, you want somebody to flesh? <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, I think looking like Talisa uh, is a good way to to carry carry an argument with, with old Rob here. He's, he's Twitter-pated. Yeah. Twitter-pated, I think, is what uh, Bambi's mother would describe him as. Or is a Thumper's dad? I don't know. Okay. Sure, I throw Bambi references in my Game of Thrones coverage. <laughs> Sue me. I, I just can't handle this foot amputation. This it, it is, is the maybe the worst thing that anyone can ever do, is it, just take a bone saw to a leg. And... It is pretty... It is pretty amazing to think about that as kind of battlefield amputations back in the day before you had yeah. like any like it's it's such a cold blooded thing to do for the person healing like just mm-hmm. like you're a butcher and they're a lamb and the person like the horror that like yeah oh god they're gonna soft my leg oh shit it's, it's happening and I'm feeling it yeah oh they hit the bone no it's not a good time for anybody but it saved it saved your life yeah yeah that's the thing it's... three times out of ten <laughs> right <laughs> right. I guess it's worth it. Maybe it's like, you know, on balance, would you rather have an axe in the head and just have it over with or, you know. I, right. Would you rather die 10 times out of 10? And, or? And, and, you know, they also do something. I think they're trying to do something interesting, uh, but they didn't quite pull it off with this guy saying, no, no, I don't want to be a cripple. Yeah, yeah. And, like, Rob reflecting on his brother and how, like, you know, Bran's going to be a cripple and he's going to be a lord. And this guy, if he's a cripple, mm-hmm. he might starve when winter comes. Like, yeah. it didn't quite land. Not quite. It was it was just sort of cut off at right. the knees. No pun intended. Right. Um, they they really did. They really just shit all over this scene with the subtitles too. Because yeah, there's this moment. Did you see this where Rob like bends down and he he holds this guy down and he says, "No, no, uh, you'll die if she doesn't." Yeah. And the subtitles say, "You'll die if she does it." 
Yeah. And I'm like, that's completely well, also, opposite sentiment. Also, when when they're sailing uh, uh, Stannis' fleet, uh, the guy says, keep a table length apart. And, and, or he says a cable length. Because yeah, a they... cable is a... And then they said a table length <laughs> on the subtitles. I'm like, how long are these fucking tables I, that they've got on these boats? It's weird because like, last night I was watching Blade Runner to prep for the, the uh, our, our first run bald movie this Thursday night. Yeah. And the same thing, the subtitles weren't even trying. <laughs> It's like, you know, this guy would say 30 words and they would sum up in like five yeah. or like give it's yeah, it's like it's it's That's pretty so weird bad. with something that is that is prepared so far in advance. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get so, it. And also weird. like how many people have corrected sent in with corrections yeah. and they just like, "Nah, we're good." Yep. I don't know how hard it is to update subtitles. Maybe it's some big bureaucratic nightmare. It's a text but... file that a computer reads as well, far as I yeah. know. Yeah. I mean, technologically, but I'm talking about like you know, it has oh, to go through lawyers tape. and it has to make, you know, like, I, I don't know. But someone, someone's Maybe. asleep at the switch yep. with these subtitles. I noticed it, too. All right, we go over to Joffrey, who's pointing a crossbow at Sansa and deciding whether or not to kill her. He says, oh, I can't kill you because my mother wants you alive. But he has Sir Marin Trant beat and humiliate her until Tyrion arrives and puts an end to it. Sir Marin Trant, you'll recall, is the guy who slaughtered a man with a wooden stick. Oh, right. Pitin, yeah, the... Pitin, the... Pitin, yeah. I, I, Arya's teacher. I yeah. don't. I don't think. I don't. I don't think anyone thinks much of his fighting ability. I don't think the Hound no. thinks much of his bullshit. I don't. That's clearly Braun does yeah. not. The thinks he could kill him without breaking a sweat. I think Braun would kill him. I think Braun would kill him. Yeah. I think okay. Tyrion might take him. Like I would like to see. I would like. <laughs> yeah. I would like to see Sir Meryn Trant against anyone in armor and, a, and with a good piece of steel. Yeah. Um. So Tyrion continues. He chastifies. Chastis- Chastises? Is that a word? Yeah. That, that's a word that I can say, right? Yeah. Uh, Joffrey, and then he removes Sansa from the situation, apologizing on uh, Joffrey's behalf and asking if she wants to end her engagement. But she totally stays on message here saying she loves Joffrey, which is ridiculous. It's ridiculous, but from Sansa's perspective, yeah. this could be an elaborate trap. Yep. Because Cersei's done this shit to her before where she calls her love and little dove and little bird and all this and she's as she's sliding the dagger between her 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 ribs. So I think this is more and about that, the strength of Sansa and her yeah. willing to play the long game rather than than go for broke on like an easy solution. Um right. And that's why Tyrion says at the end you may survive us yet. Right. Like it's hard to hate Sansa when Tyrion's given her respect. Uh-huh. Uh, especially in the season of Peak Tyrion, like we're experiencing. And this scene is more Peak Tyrion. Like, he comes oh, in, yeah. and he, he, you can see on Joffrey's face he's been caught, right. which is awesome. Yeah. Uh, he, I'm surprised Tyrion doesn't get his slapping hands out here. Yeah. Um, but he's... <laughs> it is it is in front of court. I think even he... Like, that's, that's why Tyrion's the smart one. I feel like that's why he should be slapped. Yeah. Because Joffrey's doing all this stuff in front of the lords and ladies. This is ridiculous. Right. Um, but yeah, the whole like difference between a, th- uh, a threat and education yeah, was great. great. <laughs> <laughs> you see the difference? Uh, yeah, if, if if he opens his mouth, kill him, Bron. Yeah, see, that's a threat. Um, he's it's great, and he's like you know Joffrey. Joffrey, in addition to being cruel, he's unfathomably stupid. Yeah, like we see this over and over again. Like every decision, every petty decision he makes puts himself more in trouble. And, like, he doesn't understand that disrespecting his future wife is the same as disrespecting himself. Yeah. 
It's incredibly stupid. Um, and pointless because, you know, obviously Sansa is not part of Rob's war council. So, like, a beating or abusing. And as Tyrion probably would point out, uh, like, what the fuck? They have one of our most important hostages. Mm-hmm. What the hell? That's the other, like, low-key thing that, that Joffrey is not giving a shit about and he should. Yeah. And you see that in contrast to Rob in the previous scene, which just makes it all the more stupid. And that's the thing, like, like I feel like this is a believable t- peak Tyrion because uh, I feel like the the bad guys would have done what the bad guys did. And Tyrion comes in and he's righteously angry and correct in everything he says. Like mm-hmm. uh, when Joffrey says the king can do as he likes, and he goes, oh, the Mad King did as he likes. Have you asked your Uncle Jamie what happened to him? Like, yeah. it's not... Joffrey should know better than these things. If he paid attention to his own fucking family history, he would know better than this shit. But that's like, it, it really paints a picture of this cruel, ignorant, incurious boy yeah. that's sitting on the throne and the realm, realm bleeding. Yeah, and I, I get the impression that, you know, Cersei has not done much in the way of mothering this kid, right? Like he's the oldest, so he's probably like the one who wins all the favor from the parents that's typically how it goes yeah like the oldest kid the first kid out is always like treated a little bit differently mm-hmm. than the rest of the kids like mm-hmm. the other kids are like oh yeah we've been there before we've had a kid you're nothing special right <laughs> whereas joffrey was probably coddled a lot by yeah. cersei yeah i and we've even seen that like this shit he's saying a king can do as he likes this shit that his mother was saying to him after he got bit by sansa's wolf last year yeah like this is not this is not accidentally bad parenting this is i don't know it's it's hard to defend <laughs> anything about cersei and joffrey and and i can't get over it, the the false information that's being spread here like lancel's story about what the fuck is happening to all these lords and ladies and the the lannisters being eaten by rob's men after the battle and like he's just going on just some well, lunacy it's, it's not rob because if they admit that rob this untested boy is whipping their ass it's got to be witchcraft with an army of wolves, magical yeah. wolves and you know like rob's got to be simul. it reminds me a lot when when like one's political enemies described the like as being stupid it's like well if you're being beat by a fucking moron then what does that say about what you're doing like yeah. it's like it's at best unhelpful and at worst it's a admission of you not being able to compete in the marketplace of ideas that's what rob says to jamie effectively you know, yeah when he's exactly got him in the cage exactly that you insult your opposition you, you you can't you can't insult your opposition without also demeaning any victory you you uh you you win <laughs> unless yeah well and making any defeat a humiliation right so. right so Joffrey goes back to his chambers where the Hound is waiting with a name day gift of two prostitutes, uh, one of them being Roz, who we're familiar with. He decides to send uh, a message. The other one was Jismath, I do believe. So if I don't know her name. Jismath. <laughs> I think that's, that's, that's her name. I heard Littlefinger say something about that, yeah. Jismuth. She's from the island of Spooge. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, I did not recognize her. Anyway, he decides to send a message to Tyrion by having one of them beat the other uh, pretty severely. It starts off, you know, can oh, can you hit her? And then gets the belt out, and then he gets this staff with, I don't know, antlers on it or something. Yeah, it's a scepter, I suppose. Has her go to town under threat of the same thing happening to her. And he's winding his crossbow to kind of make a point of it. I mean, yeah. I guess it's, I thought the implication is Roz is going to beat this woman to death. 
Okay, maybe. Which, like, I don't like, you know, I don't know why Joffrey would stop in private if he wouldn't in public. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, I think that this is when when Bronn's saying the little king's backed up, yeah, but he's got a different kind of boner that Mm -hmm. you can't beat that way. Uh, And also, there's no cure for being a cunt. That's true. Yeah. That's true. The best you can hope for is spontaneous uh, remission. Like, someone just wakes (laughs) up and like, shit, I've been a cunt my whole life. I need to make amends and change my ways. Yeah, good luck. Sometimes with this guy. that happens, but there is no like cure to be administered at this point. Yeah, and it's it's um, what is Joff's damage? Like, do you think? And I don't know if this is even interesting to debate, but like, is he did he want to send this message to his uncle by disrespecting, like, by you know, like this is literal objectification of these women? Like, uh, I'm going to use them as to send a message that, like, you can't do a nice thing. I'm not going to accept your gifts. Blah blah blah. And he decided, like, ooh, this is fun. Or like, I'm trying to say is like, he, is he is he more trying? Is he more indulging his dark? impulses here or is he more sending a message to Tyrion or is a little bit of both I think there's a little bit of both but I would say he is more leaning just toward his dark impulses I I think he's not clever enough to realize what kind of message he's sending necessarily he just knows that Tyrion won't like it yeah you know mildly um I I just don't give Joffrey much credit at any point during the series yeah and the fact that he sees this as a like, I guess if you're sending a message, he would see this as a like kind of, like, Tyrion kind of humiliating me at court mm-hmm. is is uh, to get to get back at that, I'm going to have this one woman murder this other woman. Yeah. Um, um, that's pretty, you know, pretty fucked up. And I, get, I guess this is actually a gift from Tyrion for his name day. Like, is he trying do something he thinks is cool for his nephew. <laughs> I mean, that's what the, his conversation with Bronn, where Bronn suggests that maybe he's just horny, like he needs to get some of this shit out of his system, and Tyrion's like, well, fuck, He try thinks this anything. might be a solution. Yeah, and I, yeah. I'm, I'm curious, because I honestly don't know how Tyrion reacts to this, but... Uh, uh, it says more about Bronn, I think, than it does Joffrey. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I, I wonder, like, how... Because I wonder if, if if Tyrion actually thought Joffrey was capable of something like this. It doesn't mm-hmm. seem like he would because, you know, uh, Tyrion had affection for Roz way back since the beginning of season one mm-hmm. when we first when we literally first meet him. So I don't think he would send her in a situation where he thought that she would be tortured. No, I don't think so. I don't think he'd send anyone, mm-hmm. um, you know, especially someone he actually has some kind of, you know, connection to. So, yeah, he underestimated him. Uh, so let's go over to Littlefinger arriving in Rinley's camp. He tells Rinley, uh, it, it's it's not a threat. It's more like an offer to help him um, that when he arrives in King's Landing, he may find either a protracted siege or open gates, Yeah, depending on how he reacts here. Um, I, I think Rinley is smart to not like Littlefinger. I, I do agree with Littlefinger's point that, you know, once Robert is dead, what's the point of staying loyal to his corpse? Like mm-hmm. that, that is, I don't view that necessarily as opportunism. It's more like he said, practical, you know? Right. Um, but at the same time, Rinley's not wrong either. Everything that comes out of Littlefinger's mouth, you have to just kind of take with a grain of salt. Well, that's exactly why, like if I was Rinley, I'd be like, okay, 
in the set of possibilities, me coming up to King's Landing, the gates opening because I buttered Littlefinger's toast could happen. But I'd be uh-huh. a fool to plan for that eventuality. Yeah. It's more like a pleasant surprise. I hope for the best, plan for the worst. Yeah, yeah. And that's the thing about guys like Littlefinger is in that circumstance, like, okay, you open the gates and I guess you get your reward, but it's nothing you can count on. No. Um, it's and, – and also he's like – even in this thing, he's he is – Kind of playing both sides a little bit, mm-hmm. um, which is kind. Of, that's I mean, that's his character. That's his character. It must yeah. be stressful and uh, like like being Peter. Like you, he he's probably got a resting heart rate of like one forty. Uh huh. You know, because he just like his <laughs> stress canaries. response must be like he's like every moment could be his last because there's going to be a dagger or a cross just because he's fucks over so many people and lies. Yeah. How do you keep it straight? Like this later when he confronts Cat and she's like giving him, she's like hitting him with the fucking truth. Yeah. Like, you're shit. You're a shit. You said, I thought you were a shit. You said you weren't a shit. I trusted you and you were a shit. Yep. She's got a dead to rights. And now, you know what? I'm starting to trust you again because it's the only one with, you're a shit, little finger. Yeah. He's yeah. A shit. Uh, he's, he's going around, I guess, to everybody in this camp trying to find things out and win some favor, but he's not finding much success in Rinley or Marjorie because when he talk, starts talking to her about her and Rinley's marriage and their sex life, she totally shuts him down, doesn't give away anything, and basically tells him plainly, I'm loyal to Rinley, so go fuck yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he's, he's not having much luck there. Yeah, Marjorie is... Uh, Mar- Marjorie plays this a lot smoother than Sansa. I get the feeling that Marjorie well, has been around, yeah. and done this before. You know, yeah, like she's been, she has been like like trained to be a politically ambitious schemer uh, in a way yeah. that Sansa has not. Sansa's been trained to be a lady from like a song or a story, right? right. And Marjorie's got a lot more too. And the way she just smoothly shuts the door on Littlefinger, yep. With the, like, here's your tint, Lord Baelish. Like, it's 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 really good. He should have said, that's not my tint. <laughs> <laughs> You've mistaken it again. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so we go over to Danny, and another writer has returned. This one speaks of the city of Karth, who said they would be honored to receive the Mother of Dragons. And Jorah ominously calls the gates of Karth the Garden of Bones. Every time they shut the door on a traveler, Khaleesi, the garden grows. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, Sir this, Black Cloud, is, Sir Eeyore. Do they do this constantly? Do they lure people in with promises of of sanctuary and then let them die outside the gates? I think it's more of like I think what you're supposed to understand is this is Ga- Danny going all in. Sure, like she has if to. we go three days east, we don't have enough food or water to survive another trip. Mm-hmm. What west to get back where we're at? So yeah, like Karth is like it, it's kind of like a. The, the only gas station in the middle of the you know death valley mm-hmm. like you're not going to make it out of here if they don't if if if, if your credit card's declined <laughs> so but yeah it's 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 a little little corny just a little corny oh okay yeah i, I mean i didn't think it was very corny i just thought uh this seems to be a pattern with him if jorah mm. is familiar with it i guess so it's true. so it's just like George so far this season has been like a total like you know we're going to die Khaleesi <laughs> You know, <laughs> we're totally fucked, yeah, Khaleesi. I guess he has. We have no water, Khaleesi. Right. The, all the cows want you dead, Khaleesi. <laughs> the horses, the, we have, the flies on the horses are dying, Khaleesi. We have no wood to burn this man's head. You're making your, your asses writing checks that you can't cash, Khaleesi. 
It's it's he's, yeah. When I mean, she promises to come back and burn this city, right? His eyes probably bug out of his head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Oh, well, I mean, that's the oh god. Well, let's get to that scene before I bitch okay. about it. Uh, let's move on to Arya and company arriving at Heron Hall. Uh, they're kept near the area where they torture people so that they can hear the screams. Someone is tortured and killed at random every day, they find out. And Arya begins repeating the names of Joffrey, Cersei, Ilan Payne, and the Hound as she lays in the mud. Uh, Gendry ponders what kind of fire melts stone. And Arya says dragon fire. And I say, spoiler alert! What the fuck, you monster? <laughs> we don't know that yet. It hasn't been established in canon. No, uh, but I, I liked I liked the visualization of Harrenhal. You know, mm-hmm. if you don't if you don't know the history of Harrenhal, uh, it was this great fortress that the ruler of the Iron Islands before the Greyjoys built for himself. This big, especially magnificent pa- castle that was going to be totally impregnable. And Aegon the Conqueror uh, rode up and said surrender, and Heron the Black said no, and then Aegon said fine, and he used his dragons to literally melt the castle around the guy. And ever since it's been uh, it's been considered haunted. It's like paradoxically one of the wealthiest. Like it has dominion over the Riverlands, one of the wealthiest um, holdings hmm. in Westeros. But also it has a history of people uh, living there, meeting unt- untimely ends. And I guess it doesn't seem like anybody's living there right now. Well, I mean, it was that was uh, that was promised to Janos, right? And now it's been promised to Littlefinger, and mm-hmm. even Littlefinger, I think, said, "Yeah, but that's kind of cursed." Thanks. Also, it's kind of melted. Like, I want to, yeah, it's I a, want a shiny new castle. Yeah, I would, I would build a small, comfortable keep for myself. I'd be like, yeah, I, I'll take the lands. I'll build yeah. my own. You know, I'll I'll squirrel away enough money to build a humble little keep that I'll that I'll keep <laughs> keep keep, keep right. building up with my my newfound wealth. Yeah, why would you? If it's a fucking ruin, and it can't be unruined. Yeah. Like the the fucking no. shit's literally been me- melted together. I guess you could chop the top of it off. I I don't know. Uh, it looks cool though. It, it seems does to look be cool. like very very. I don't. Well, it looks like a universal monster lot, that, like like studio lot, doesn't it? Yeah, like it's got mm-hmm. like, like shit hanging from the trees and blood, and like there's thunder and lightning, and there's a there's yeah. a vampire counting numbers somewhere in the distance and laughing. You know, I thought it was made out of very dark stone, but. Now that I realize, oh, it's burned, perhaps it's just charred. I think it might be also Blackstone because he is hair okay. the black. So I think okay. that was like it's it's it, it's some kind of uh, – so I actually paused the podcast to, to look into it, and I, I could – it doesn't seem like that's a fact that that was built out of dark stones. So I think you're supposed mm-hmm. to understand it's just been scorched by Dragonfire, scorched <laughs> okay. and melted. Huh. I suppose it could be both. Um dark stone just probably gets darker when it's <laughs> scorched i think that's that's science that's how it goes the the so- stone seed is strong yeah um so Littlefinger goes to catelyn who accuses him of betraying ned which he he definitely did uh he loses his mind in this scene and tries to put a move on her until she spins around and threatens him with a knife and then he offers to help return her girls to her if she releases jamie uh, before leaving her tent, he gives Catelyn a gift from Tyrion, which is Ned's bones. Dim De- bones. What is Littlefinger bones. thinking in this scene when he starts professing his love for the woman whose husband he just had a hand in killing? So, like, the plain reading is that 
he's using that as a defense of like, why would I do this? Because you know I love you and blah, blah, blah. Which uh, to but me, it's like that's a perfectly that's... great – like you go for this like, oh, fate is – like it's a transparently naked attempt. Right. The cynical in me says that this is a one-two punch designed to completely throw – like like offer something rid- – it's a negotiation tactic. Your first mm-hmm. demand is ridiculous and ludicrous. <laughs> so that's your second demand, no matter what, is going to come off as reasonable. And it seems to work. Yeah. So I feel like the cynical is the way to go. Like, yeah, I mean, obviously, if Cat will lost her mind and be like, "You're right, Lord Baelish, this world doesn't make sense for me anymore. Welcome me into your tiny scrawny arms." Yeah, he would be like, "Awesome, this yeah, <laughs> this went way better than I this expected. This is way better than I expected." <laughs> but I, I feel like the the like one two punch rope a dope thing is what he was really going for. Yeah, and that was spectacularly effective. And he seems to even be offering things he doesn't have, like Arya. Right. Um. I I think he might know it's possible he knows the whereabouts of Arya roughly mm-hmm. um that maybe she was on the way to the wall maybe he thinks he can just go up there and get her um and bring her back or he might just be like um we'll just we'll just fuck him over sure like yeah. we'll show up like if she has you know agreed to this grossly imbalanced trade mm mm-hmm. mhm you when we go show up at the scene and she's so close to getting her daughter back yeah and we say well Arya's escaped is she going to call off the deal with her daughter in sight and we mm-hmm. slap a hood over her and dragons like nah probably not probably not it's the same way that uh you know what's the, what was the guy uh jerry lungard uses in fargo when he's got the guy and he's got he's he's sold him the the rust protection package and the guy knows it's a crock of shit he writes a check anyway because he wants the car uh-huh. it's, it's basically the same thing sure <laughs> I've uh, altered the deal. Pray I don't alter any further. Yep. Anything else? Uh, I think or... that's. Oh, I really like the subtle world building of having the Silent Sisters in the background doing their thing. They're the, the weird ninja-looking nuns that have the funny headdress, and they were on the battlefield helping Talis- Talisa, and they were the women bearing Ned's bones. Ah. Like they're this uh, order. They're not septas or septons, but they are these people that take a vow of silence to serve uh, and, and chastity to serve the stranger. And hmm. they're essentially the the morticians of Westeros. They are uh, in charge of like uh, turning a body to skeletons using a combination of beetles and boiling. And they also hmm. uh, will like stuff and partially mummify a body for presentation for like a state funeral or something. Okay, uh, and they're Do, both they respected the and that... feared. Put the Westeros. stones, the stones on the eyes. Uh, I think of so. John Arryn. I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh huh. Okay. It's creepy, if you ask me. Oh, that's what Westeros thinks too. Okay, <laughs> good. <laughs> I'm glad you're there. Give him a stag for the trouble, and don't look him in the eye because the stranger <laughs> might get you next. All right. Uh, the Lannisters wake Arya and the other prisoners, and the Mountain comes over to select the day's victim. This is not my mountain, Jim. No, fuck. This no. is the beanpole that rides. Spo- this is no mountain. <laughs> Spoiler alert: This guy gets replaced. This actor he was gets replaced like, later on. They had a badass mountain in season one. Did they? I don't remember him. He was he was a motherfucker, and he mm-hmm. looked apart. And then they get like they had some kind of bullshit dispute over money or availability. Huh. I've heard many different stories about how this happened. And he didn't come back for season two, so they got this guy 
who is just a really tall, skinny dude. Yeah, they made his armor too big for him. Too. They, and that's <laughs> like, the thing. He like, just looks like dopey in that. Like that I suit feel of like armor. they meant to make the armor ridiculously oversized and then, like stuff it with a muscle suit or something. Yeah. They just forgot the muscle suit. They showed up and it's just like this shit's yeah. hanging Saggy on him. Saggy chainmail. He and... looks like a goddamn scarecrow wearing chainmail, <laughs> and he's the mountain. Yeah, tall, he was not intimidating. A, no, 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 no. The armor looks like you could just give him a, a like a stiff breeze and knock him over, and then he'd be helpless like a turtle <laughs> trying to get up. Yep. It's it's sad. It's sad. Like, how hard is it to go to a strongman competition, pick the biggest motherfucker yeah. in the lineup, and say, can you say, you? You can? <laughs> You're hired. I don't. It's 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 weirdly lazy casting. Maybe they did that, and none of them could say you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Nordic countries they all seem to come from. They just can't yeah. do yeah, yeah. It just won't come yow. out. Yeah, yowl. No, it's you, yowl. You know, I don't know. Fuck it. Let's get this tall, skinny guy. Somehow we're probably being racist to Finnish people. I don't. Because they speak a different language. Yeah, and they can't say you without the word you. I'm sure they'll be like not all not all Norsemen. Probably. That's uh, so she, uh, Hot Pie decides he's going to stare down the mountain because this other guy says that's how he survived so long. And the guy who previously stared down the mountain gets picked that day, which makes Hot Pie piss himself. This show, how do they get a laugh out of this grim moment? I don't know. It's great. It's- and I, I feel like the, the pissing the Hot Pie was gratuitous in the same way the fart, like, uh,. I don't know, like uh, like the opening fart. Maybe it's not bad, but like Hot Pie pissing mm-hmm. himself. I don't yeah, know about well, that. I don't. I don't know. He's he was clearly very scared. How Have you ever known a person piss himself in fear? No, I haven't but, either. But I've never been in a situation where that kind of fear would. But kick you know, in. I feel like that's like the equivalent of of anime nosebleeds. Yeah. When, when you get a crush on a girl, mm-hmm. or like the weird flop sweat and the like hashtag that appears on their forehead when they're constant like that's like eyes no that. one in the history of anything has pissed himself in fear but that's like i bet there are people who that's how you, you know, show people that are in extreme fear been to war or uh been victims of some kind of attack or something that who are, would probably disagree but I, I, yeah I, i've been privileged never to be in a situation like that this thing is like, i don't even think i've read a historical account of someone pissing myself i literally think it's that's what dogs do so then, like, a craven is showing this dog-like submissive behavior. Maybe he's incontinent. Yeah. Have you ever thought be. about that? Could Hot be. pie? I mean, Hot he's pie. not physically well. His prostate is yeah. the size of a watermelon. <laughs> at the, he's gotten I mean, some kind of weird Westerosic prostate cancer yeah. at the age of 14, and uh, it's... Uh, They're living hard lives in Westeros. Too many, too many Hot Pies. <laughs> that can do damage. Uh, so that guy gets pulled aside and he gets tortured with, to death with a rat who eats through his chest. Yeah, that's 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 uh that's a hard way to go. That's a that's a long, slow, terrible death. Yeah, gotta be painful. Um and that night Arya lays in the mud repeating the names and she has added one, which is Polliver. Um, the guy who's torturing them. And the guy who has her sword and killed her friend and all that. If you couldn't tell, this is the same guy who put the, the needle through yep. that kid's neck. Yep. Who he thought was Gendry. Um so yeah, she has a a pretty good reason to put him on the list. Mm-hmm. They ask this question, like, you know, is there any gold and silver in the village? Is there any gems? Who's, where's the Brotherhood without without banners? Yeah. Who's helping them? Um, is this the first we've heard of the Brotherhood? Maybe. Uh, okay, I, well, then I'll I say no more. Bad memory for it. But, yeah, who the hell are the Brotherhood? Who the hell is this Brotherhood without banners? They sound cool. Yeah, they're clearly if they're setting against, up. If they're against the beanpole, I'm for them. Okay. Yeah, it's interesting. I 
hmm, I guess I hadn't considered what exactly is going on here and and who's in charge um, and for what reasons they're doing the things they are, but maybe we can talk about that when Tywin arrives. Yes. Uh, so we, we go to Stannis meeting with Renly, and Renly's needling him about taking a new sigil, and they're arguing back and forth about who's got the better claim and who's going to win. Stannis tells Renly that he has one night to pledge himself to his cause or he'll destroy him. And then before leaving, Melisandre tells Renly, the night is dark and full of terrors. Ooh. She loves to say that. Uh, I thought this was a really great scene of Renly kind of rhetorically handing his brother his ass. And um, I don't know. Stannis doesn't like – I'm left to wonder if Stannis really wants his brother to – to back down because you remember of like how little warmth he has for Roberts when like the guy's trying to put the nice, the harmless courtesy of, uh, you know, my beloved brother. He's like, I didn't love yeah. him. He didn't love me. Like it just paints this picture of like, maybe Stannis would like, would, would rather Rinley fight him so that he can destroy him and not have him on the King's counts. Because like, you know, Rinley yeah. doesn't just doesn't respect him. And I don't think he ever will. I don't know that Stannis wants a council. <laughs> like, there's, I just don't think Stannis likes anybody. Yeah, I wouldn't want to be in a small council. But he wouldn't whole, want you there. He doesn't want anybody there. Melisandre starting up. He was born in salt and smoke, which is one of the famous parts <laughs> of the Zora High prophecy. He's uh, like, oh, is he a ham? <laughs> yeah, that's pretty and good. And then when Stannis, like anyone who denies that my claim to the throne is my foe, and he goes, they deny it from the wall to Dorne, <laughs> from old men's dying death rattle to unborn babes in their mother's womb. It's just, yeah, it's it's so funny. Yeah, uh, Renly, Renly really defeats him on the, the battlefield of language here. Yeah, and he, um, and Stannis is so prickly. He sees Cat and just assumed, oh, your fucking son's in on him, too. And even if he's not, he still won't bend the knee, so he's a, he's a foe, too. It's Yeah. And also, <sighs> I, Stannis. I couldn't help but think, Stannis isn't really into all this religious stuff. Like, he... He's he kind of thinks it's... He's using it as a means to an end, I think. Yeah, plus um, he he did really want to bone Melisandre. Right, right. But I mean, for not believing wholeheartedly in this religious stuff, taking it as your fucking sigil. Right. Abandoning your family's sigil right. in favor of some religious symbol that you don't really believe in is really weird. But, I mean, it's the one... Seems like a mistake. It's the one non-pragmatic thing I think he does. Yeah. Like, it's like, well... There has been enough proof that there is something to this. I'm going to go all in because I don't mm-hmm. have the numbers. I don't have anything. I might as well play it to the one advantage I have, which is fanaticism. And maybe, maybe Melisandre will pop out, pop out a shadow baby yeah. for me. Maybe some magic. All right, so Danny arrives at Karth, uh, or Quarth, as she says, uh, where she's greeted by a rotund man with a name that can't be pronounced. And the rest of the quote unquote thirteen. I believe him because Zarozan duck sauce is <laughs> already me. like if it's worse than that, you're right. I don't want to truck with it. I have Xanos von Duck Sauce written down. <laughs> duck sauce was the canonical joke. Uh-huh. Because the way this guy pronounces Doxus, it sounds exactly like duck sauce. Yeah. It sounds like I yeah, can I get some uh can I get some steamed white rice with some <laughs> uh some chicken? Can I get some of that Zarozan duck sauce? Because it's it really sets off that uh sets off the the chicken. Yeah. So they want to see the dragons before they let her into the city. And she refuses, and instead she threatens to return when her dragons are grown and burn their city to the ground. Uh, none of them like that, but Zanos von Duxauce decides to step up and invoke something called Sumai, which is some kind of vouching system that gets them through the gates. I 
I never understand vouching systems. Yeah, I, I don't. Yeah, I guess it's. I don't like, like them. I don't understand them. It's the opposite of a veto. Uh huh. Like, how far can you take a vouching system? Could I, like, how far could I take Samai? Could I say, uh, I don't know. The there is a horde of Dothraki. There's a yeah. hundred thousand of them out there, and I want them inside. Yeah. I invoke Samai, and boom, we've got a hundred thousand Dothraki. In. I think it's one of those things where it's not. I wonder if there's like if three other people invoke anti semi then yeah. like it's it's one of those things where the president can override or the Congress can override a presidential veto if they have a two thirds majority. Uh-huh. Um, because you're right. Like, what if he's like bringing in a nuclear bomb that's at sixty seconds ticking down to one, yeah. and he's letting the most the best bomb diffuser and the bomb in the city in the gates? Like, mm-hmm. well, if you're wrong, because it's like. You know, if like let's let's say we're debating something a bald move, and you say I invoke Sumai, and you <laughs> right. slice your hand. To me, that's saying this decision, if it backfires, you're going to make it good. Like, yeah. it's not going to come out of my fucking paycheck. This shit. Uh-huh. So like, it works on something like Danny bringing in forty unwashed Dothraki. Mm-hmm. Like maybe because what if what if this causes some reaction that burns the city to the ground? That's what I'm saying. Then like how can you make no, that good? Like, right, you can't make that good. Right, no, it's dumb. And 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 this is also completely invented for the series. And oh boy, I think it's super dumb because in the books, like Karth wants her in there because her dragons are a sensation. They're like fucking cool. And yeah. Danny's like, yeah, look at my dragons. They're awesome. Get some tourism up. Give there. me some. Give yeah. me some gold and give me some silks and like maybe flatter me with promises of stuff. But like I don't understand why they went this path because number one it's yet another opportunity for danny to impotently swear revenge oh, even God. though like and, and the guy just cuts her off at the knees because yeah you she know, just said we'll die without your help and if you don't help me i'm going to kill you all it's yeah. like fucking cobra commander level shit yeah it's so stupid you know i i don't i it, it it's it's bad it's not it's not great it's I, not great and i don't understand why they did it because it seems like yeah. just letting like 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 the idea that's this decadent court that's bored in the desert that they would want a novelty and there's still challenges that danny can then her challenges to be taken seriously sure now she's under this weird guy's kind of sort of protection and I, I don't know we'll see how it goes but i i really didn't like the scene also uh well shit we decided that's a spoiler so i gotta stop <laughs> having my fun okay um and i also don't understand duck sauces uh statement here that they're retreating in fear from a little girl i don't think that's what's happening here duck sauce you're misreading the room right like they're not retreating in fear they're simply not allowing her access and she's making impotent threats that they acknowledge are impotent threats and like why that's not won't, fear why won't she show them the dragons because they're tiny and she thinks she'll they'll take them i don't know but they're in the fucking cat containers. And she looks over conspicuously at them. Right. Saying, oh, hey, guys, my dragons are over there. That's what I'm saying. Like, you don't really, like, if they want to take your dragons, they'll just fucking do it. There's yeah. 40 of you and a billion of them behind this wall, and they got spears and shit, and, like, you're just going to lose. Yeah. So, like, you keep playing the card you got until it doesn't work. I, I don't know. Nothing it. about it, this. It, scene it doesn't works. make sense, and it's, yeah. it's, it's dumb. I don't like it. Incredibly dumb. Okay, let's move on to Gendry. Um, he's taken from the pen that he's in and put in a torture chair. He won't answer questions, so they get the rat out. Fortunately for him, Tywin arrives and doesn't like what he sees. He tells them to put the prisoners to work instead of killing them, and he realizes Arya is a girl and makes her his cupbearer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so Big Daddy Tywin shows up, <laughs> puts an end to all the fun. And, and this is the point where I should have realized that I, I guess – 
I guess he has multiple, like, obviously he would have multiple, like, groups of troops out mm-hmm. there, right? Um, some defending places, some attacking in other places. But I, I guess I didn't realize that there was kind of this loose hold on them that he had. I thought he ruled sort of with an iron fist. Oh, I think you've got it right. I think the show, I think the mountain and his troop are his his Gestapo units that allow mm-hmm. him, like, they can do things like before Game of Thrones started, uh, the mountain rode into King's Landing after the Mad King was sl- slain and, and and killed the the... The prince's family with his bare hands, like smashed a baby's head against the wall, raped and murdered Alaria, wow. and did all this yeah. foul shit. And then Tywin could ride in and be like, "Oh well, you know, my boys got a little rowdy, and boy, and like it allows him to like all punish them or whatever." And the same thing, like you know, Ned saw this happening where it's like, "Oh, they're you know, Tywin's bannermen's out in the Riverlands raping and reaving." Well, I'm going to hold Tywin responsible for this, and that you know, we saw how that went for him. So I, I feel mm-hmm. like that. The Tywin's not pissed that they're torturing people. Yeah, that's like he wanted to do it, and he's going to ride in a couple days later and look and and play the noble lord after they've already extracted what intelligence they can, or you know, I don't think. Yeah, yeah. I think I think he's a little bit angry about getting defeated again by yeah, Rob. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and they certainly could have couldn't have known that they you know needed people that badly, right? Um, for this war effort, because Tywin just over and over again gets his ass handed to him. Um, and these guys, I don't think, are privy to that information immediately. Right. That oh, we just lost another big battle. Right. Um. So I I don't know. Uh. I guess it's it's interesting to see him ride in and put the kibosh on all this. Uh. And I don't know what's going to happen with Arya here. You know, I don't think he realizes who she is exactly, but that she's a girl instead of a boy. Well, and this is a huge. This is a threat opportunity for Arya. Like, yeah. if Tywin figures out who she is mm-hmm. she's in big fucking trouble and also true um it, it strengthens the lannister hands because they have now both daughters where they don't they just don't I, know yeah, on yeah. the other hand if she can slip under his defenses right and she can get a kit fucking kitchen knife as her st- steward like she can she can d- deal a death blow to the lannister side so, yeah you can see her eyeing yeah, needle the whole scene right? yeah they keep going back and forth between tywin and the needle yeah, tywin it's, and needle it's uh, now here's the thing like uh the double d's giveth and double d's taketh away because in the books tywin never comes to heron hall and Arya is never his steward huh and okay that this is like one of the best predicaments in this season so yeah. like they i think they whiffed on the whole fucking sumai bullshit uh, and the and the Danny and Korth, but they they hit a home run largely because of uh, you know the chemistry that we'll see Maisie Williams and and uh, uh, fucking uh, shit. What's his name? Charles Dance. Charles Dance. Thank yeah. you. Uh, Maisie just keeps getting better and better too. I, yeah. I think as this, the series progresses, um, even right now, like in season two, she's great. She was great in season one, but she's you know her character evolves obviously as all right. characters do. But Maisie just keeps getting better. No, it's amazing how well they they take this young unknown cast and they essentially strike gold at every position because yeah. these kids turn out to, you know, be really really good actors and none of them fucking lose their minds or do a Lindsay Lohan or is that a spoiler to say that none of these the, young, yeah <laughs> nobody loses their mind uh, no the real Williams actors were harmed. have a heroin problem in season seven and like you just it's really distracting <laughs> how black her eyes the circles in her eyes are and how skinny she's getting like 
Yeah, no, none of that happens. It seems like it's it's like she uh, doesn't get busted for drunk driving and removed. There's from all this the really show. cute shit. Like you can find like Maisie. Uh, there's like videos that they've like record on Periscope of like Maisie and uh, Sophie cruising around in a car doing uh, Sean Bean impersonations. Yeah, it's just like it's yeah, a, it's good. a ton of fun. Like sure. there's a long running gag on the the Blu-rays that every time the kids would do an episode, they would like uh, an acapella version of the Game of Thrones theme song. Nice, lots of good stuff. A feel, real, real feel-good moment. Uh, yeah, I'm not nearly as enamored with Lancel, the actor playing Lancel. Um, his performance in this next scene, I think, is overdone, we'll say. Is it supposed to be, though? Uh, Why don't you introduce the scene and we'll talk about it. Okay, so Lancel shows up at, to, in Tyrion's quarters, I guess, and he's delivering a warrant from Cersei to release Pycelle. Uh, Tyrion realizes that somewhere along the way he's sleeping with Cersei and takes the opportunity to blackmail him into spying on Cersei for him. Mm-hmm. And then he says, yeah, I'll release Pycelle in the morning. I don't really care about him. Right. Um, yeah, yeah, I don't I don't like the... I love the performance from Peter Dinklage. I don't like the performance from Lancel here. I, I just think it's over the top. I feel like this is essentially a Monty Python skit, and Lancel is some doofus extra, and, you know, Peter Dinklage is John Cleese. Yeah. He's supposed to look hapless and like jumped up, and I mean, this is the he same is, guy but, that was intimidated by yeah. Bobby B getting the breast stretcher, and now because he's fucking his cousin, uh, and she's blowing sunshine and anointed night oil up his ass, he thinks he's something now. He's got a sword and he's big, sure, but yeah. he's not. He's a he's he's a he's still the same guy, and Tyrion just tears him down. I so you and I get what, it. I I think you can express all of those sentiments, all those ideas without making the performance over the top. And hmm. I, I think Picel is a good example of that last episode. Hmm. Yes, it's a ridiculous thing that's happening. You know, it's yeah. all a sham. It's a farce. Yeah. But Picel doesn't seem to be in on the joke. Here, Lancel seems to be in on the joke almost. Hmm. And I don't think he should be. Well, I mean, I can't fault you because I just... This is my, the way I'm in, reading in, it. In my, in my uh, hypothesis, he is in on the joke because it's a Monty Python skit. <laughs> right. I kind of, like, appreciated the fact that it is a farce, but... Uh, and, like, the fact that, like... Tyrion, does Tyrion know he's fucking Cersei, or does he j- j- go on a fishing expedition and then? Yeah. I feel like he had to know to go down that line of questioning. Yeah, I don't think you're wrong in that because th- th- this hour of the wolf stuff. He, I don't know. There's a moment where he kind of says the hour of the wolf and that's, takes a look up at Lancel that, to that, see his reaction. And I, but I had the same thing. Like that's where the the, the situation was balancing on a knife edge. Like yeah. if Lancel plays it cool. Mm-hmm. He might get out. He might get. He might get out there without, you know, Tyrion branding his ass as owned by Tyrion Lannister. <laughs> yeah, if but, this were Marjorie, she would have played that. Yeah, too. she would have said, "Yeah, well, here's your tint, Lord, uh-huh. Lord Tyrion," and and flounced out. The, the, Lancel doesn't have that gear. No, no, definitely not. And then the, just when it shifts, the shifts to pure panic. Where he's like, you know what? I can tell how hard it's. Let, let me get. Let me get King Joffrey in here. He'll love to hear this. Mm-hmm. And like. You know, Lancel's not that stupid, and he knows what would happen. Yeah. Oh, man. Oh, man, he'd die so bad. Can I ask you which which one of the hours is the hour of the wolf? I, 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 I This hour? Is it midnight? I can't think. Like, like, I, I have no idea the... what the wolf's if, – if the wolf's hour is literally, like, midnight or, like, you know, like we call the witching hour or if it's just, right. like, saying, oh, dark 30. I don't <laughs> – Okay. Like this I, is this is booty call o'clock is what he, I think his point <laughs> is. Like why would you be right. in the queen's chambers at 
whatever the, the o'clock it happens to be you could probably hear lancel howling down the hall yeah if you know that's the thing like if, if you know that there's a you know if you're a book reader who's who's read the world of a site of ice and fires more than i have and you you know what the hour of the wolf is yeah uh let let us know i'm gonna say it's like between one fifteen and two fifteen in the morning the, when i i went to a werewolf sort of thing like when the moon is highest and oh. it's a full moon yeah uh, that's the hour of the wolf. Yeah, but it, what, it only happens twenty eight days when the moon's full. I don't know how often do they bang. <laughs> <laughs> Probably more often than that. Uh, so we're back on Stannis's boat, and he's talking with Davos about uh, how he chopped off his fingers for smuggling, apparently. And then Stannis asks him, but also knighted him for his heroism. Right, he's both a hero and a, a scum, a smuggler. Han Solo, sure, with more fingers. <laughs> Well, he still has the fingers. Oh, less viewers. Fewer less fingers. fingers. Fewer yeah. fingers, exactly. Yeah, he's such a stickler for grammar. <laughs> he is. It's such a great way to show how fucking prickly Stannis is. Yeah. Um, so Stannis, right after talking about cutting off his fingers for smuggling, asks him to smuggle Melisandre um, ashore, I guess, for an, an assassination attempt. And Davos gets her there, though he isn't happy about so it. So high, the promised beach. The beach that was promised. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, they start philosophizing a little bit about, you know, the the stuff that they both believe um, as they make their way into the cave where Melisandre removes her clothes and births an inky black shadow baby mm-hmm. that, I don't know, grabs grabs these bars and the episode ends. Mm-hmm. That's, um, I, I mean, if we were looking for a sign of Melisandre's power that isn't just a parlor trick or something, right? this is it. <laughs> Yeah. There's there's no potions involved. That's right. There's, there's no developing immunity to Iocane powder. No. With with having uh, an, an inky black shadow baby shooting out of your, your uh, nether region. Yeah. And it makes you think, like, what are the limits of this power? Can mm-hmm. she manifest, like, a trebuchet, an M1 Abrams, like, yeah. uh, a, a, an iron giant type killer robot? Like, what, how many times, like, and is, was this the sun that she promised to Stannis? Right. What is its purpose? I get the feeling it is. I, I get the feeling she's telling everyone things that are true in a certain from a certain point yeah, of view, yeah, right? Yeah, like yeah, she yeah, says, yeah. "Oh, you you want to see what's under this robe, Davos?" And, and you I wonder. Will. That's the thing. Like I don't. I wonder what Stannis thought was going to happen because she yeah. promised him a son, which is one of the things that excited him, other than her rock and body last episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when he's parlaying with Renly and he goes, I'll let you have your position. I'll even name you my heir until I'm bored a male son. Maybe thinking at that point in the episode, he still thought that this was like straight up, like Melisandre's just going to bear me a child. But by the end of the episode, I feel like there's a little bit of a haunted quality with Stannis's talking to Davos. Yeah. Um, which implies that he knew exactly what was going to happen. Yeah. I definitely think he knows that Melisandre is going to try to kill Renly. Yeah. But I'm not sure if he knows exactly how. Yeah, and I and I love the juxt- juxtaposition of you know this pregnant woman, Earth Mother imagery that's giving birth to something that is like looks like it's evil and of death rather than innocent and of life. That that was uh, one of the better yeah. kind of like visual, like when she whips off her robe and she's like visibly pregnant mm-hmm. and like giving these birth pains and like and it also just I thought it was really cool how. She is looking like at wonder at this thing, and like Davos is reco- like, recoiling at horror. Mm-hmm. Um, there's like, a lot of things I liked about the scene, like Davos and 
Stan is talking about it and like, you know, Stan's being so prickly and when when Davos is saying the red woman, he's like, He has a name, you know. And then the very next sentence he says the yeah. cargo you're smuggling is the red woman. Right. Like you know, Stannis doth protest a bit too much about all this. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's interesting, too, because th- during this scene, you know, when she's birthing the shadow baby, uh, the the light from the lantern is, is really gl- glowing very strongly, mm-hmm. um, more so than natural. I mean, Stan- or Stannis, Davos has to, like, take shelter from it. Essentially, right. it's so bright. Um, it's... I, I'm trying to see like what is what is the Lord of Light's power here? You know, mm-hmm. where does it come from? Um, what are the extents of it? And I think Davos is also questioning those things, right? Like, why yeah. why are you running around in the shadows if it's the Lord of Light? You and know, she has like, a pretty good answer that like because that's the thing. Like, you know, we usually think of like terms of shadow creatures being evil, but yeah. as she points out, like in the darkness there are no shadows. Mm-hmm. That shadows are born from the light. They're servants of shadows. That's a not a bad. That's not a bad apology for what's going on, but in the end, the, mm-hmm. like when 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 Davos is saying like where there might be a cleaner option, and Stannis says, "Well, in warfare, you can't always afford those." Like you can see in Stan- da- Davos's minds, like yeah, but like this feels this feels evil. Sure, um, it's very much the conversation Rob had with Roos. Yeah, and I had a conversation with people and, and someone in an email. Uh, I can't remember who about you know talking about the different forms of magic and the ice versus fire and it's like one of those things is like is the emperor evil because he uses force lightning you know <laughs> or is it what he is chooses Ob- to do is with obi-wan it? evil because he uses the force to affect the weak-minded like right. that sounds is 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 luke evil because he force chokes a gamorian guard it, mm-hmm. like it's not it's not the tool so much as how you use it yeah and you know so i guess that's He's evil the- because he kills the rancor that's 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 true. He was just sure. some dude's pet. Like what a yeah. fucking monster. That's that guy's Labrador retriever, man. Yeah, don't tell me you not couldn't have cool. got out there without killing it. Not cool. Um <laughs> but yeah, I th- those are it's the same kind of question that like Tyrion propounds to the or I'm sorry, Varys propounds to Tyrion about who has the power. Like is this evil or not? Davos might think yes, but we got to see we got to see if the what the ends are before we even attempt to justify the means. <laughs> I suppose so. Uh that's the end of the episode. All right, uh, Jim, it's it's time to stump for the club. Uh, you and me are in a room with a sellsword, with a credit card, <laughs> uh-huh. and we're both trying to get him to join club. Is it Braun? It, it, it's, it, it, it's immaterial. Could okay. be Loris. Could be, could be uh, Sir, uh, Sir, Sir Jano Slint now, or recently, uh, okay. of the Gold Cloaks, now of the Black, the Brothers Black. Uh, but we're both telling him to sign up for the club. <laughs> uh, Who has the power in this situation? I mean, the, it's it's where the credit card is, right? You're, you're, you're right. It's it's who holds the credit card. It's actually yeah. Visa and Mastercard. Uh, <laughs> they have the power. They they have the power. Uh, Amazon also has the power. You can sign up with Amazon. Amazon well. has the power. PayPal doesn't have the power. PayPal no. will de- deny us their power, so they're just right out. They're 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 left. They're they're left outside the cold, the bang of the dire wolves. Uh, but if you want to use, if you want to hold your credit card on high, and sign up for the club with it. Uh, and torture this metaphor f- further. You can go to club.baldmove.com, sign up for it. You get you get thirty free. You get thirty days free. So there's my first argument. I don't know what J- Jim's going to say to get you to sign up, but like I'm going to say you thirty get, days free. You get to watch us record the podcast as fast as possible live. You can do that. 
There's bonus features. Bonus features you can mm-hmm. only get in the club. Ad-free feeds. We know a lot of people don't like ads, and you can skip all skip all the ads with the ad-free feeds. Uh, I mean, like, what's the worst that can happen? You sign up, you get your free uh, free 30-day trial, and you fucking forget, like, for three and a half years, and suddenly you've given us <laughs> so much more money than you intended to. That's the worst thing that can happen, and how bad is it? How bad is it? Because you, you just passively – you've passively supported – okay podcasting for that long a time i mean that's that's not that's it doesn't make you a, a history's monster no it's that. not that bad you may be financially foolish but that, that's the worst literally the worst that can happen you're not going to lose your head over it uh go check it out bald move uh, club.baldmove.com before you even plunk out your credit card we got a whole bunch of sample features and a description of the whole package and and, and all that stuff but uh there you go you have the power it resides in the plastic that you're probably sitting on or maybe it's in the purse that's hangling on the hook by your door or maybe it's in your car, or maybe it's in your bed. I don't know where you women stick. I honestly don't know where do women store their purses when they're not in use. Uh, floor, is it bed, floor? dresser, the floor? I don't is the know. home of the purse, closet? I flop my wallet in this little. Dish. Yeah, I got a bowl. I got yeah. a bowl. I got a bowl. Nine times out of ten, it's that one time out of ten that gets me. When it's stuck in the crack between the cushions on the couch. When I when I when I when I'm super lazy and I've put it somewhere or I've left it in the basement in the garage because I came in that way for some reason. Club that baldmove.com. Do we have some feedback to do? Oh boy, Jim, do we ever? Uh, Game of Thrones at baldmove.com. First up, Levi C. On this last podcast, someone asked what lies beyond the known world, and I was thinking of referencing a world of ice and fire. In it, it talks about a Valerian dragon rider who set out for three years to see where Southeros ended, but she said there was no end in sight even after all that time. Holy shit. Like, I f- I'm starting to think Southeros is uh, procedurally generated like Minecraft. Yeah. Because flying a dragon for three fucking years and not seeing the end of it? That's... Uh, you can't even do that on Earth. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Uh, I mean, uh, I, I don't know at this point how fast dragons can fly. I suppose not, yeah. But damn. Like, even if they're like a stately 40, like 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 a ultralight, 45 miles an hour. You could forest gump it across the Earth in three years. <laughs> uh, I don't know. But there, there's the thing, like... Um, I remember there's a story where George, you know, he writes that the the the, the wall is like 700 feet tall or whatever. Yeah. And then when he shows up and he looks at the animatics of what they've come up with, he's like, holy fucking shit, that's a tall wall. He's like, yeah, it's half as tall as what you said it was in the books. <laughs> and George is like, yeah, I'm not I, I'm not really great at the scale of things. Like, I, I, I just write big, awesome things because it sounds cool in my mind. But, I, you know, yeah, it's one of the one of those things. Hmm. Um. They continue, there's also the Green Hell, a.k.a. outside of the map we see of Southeros, that holds, allegedly, basilisks, vampire bats, tattooed lizards, giant snakes, spotted spiders, King Kong-sized giant apes, a winged dragon-like creature known as Wyverns mm. and Shirley's. The interior of Southeros is rumored to be a domain of barbarian tribes, cannibals, lost cities, and mythical races, including lizard men and blind cave dwellers. Ah, Grumpkins and snarks, if I you ask me. I feel like this is a little... Yeah, I'd like, I would be tempted to say, here lies dragons, except for north of the wall, here lies zombies, actually fucking true. Right. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, interesting bit of world building. Although... Yeah, I guess that's canon because George ble- like wrote a lot of it and blessed it. But yeah, please see it in the books. It seems it's, it it beggars my imagination that someone could fly on a dragon for three years and not come to the end of a continent. Mm-hmm. Like if you told me she was like four wheeling it, 
okay, fine, fine. Maybe there's a particularly bad <laughs> shit. There's a place in uh, Central America that I don't think anyone's actually driven over land through. Um, what is that? The something gap? The mm, who cares? Um, anyway, yeah. Is there, I, I, I lost my point. I, I was going to go say something else. Yeah, I don't. I don't buy. Yeah, it, seems, okay. it seems it seems another seven hundred foot wall to say that this continent essentially is endless. Yeah. Jeffrey S. When Baelish meets with Lady Stark and offers to exchange Arya and Sansa for Jamie, how is Baelish going to make good on her promise if Lady Stark and Rob go for it when he does not have Arya? Does he think <laughs> that he will get her by the time the exchange or in end? Rob and Lady Stark will take only Sansa for Jamie. If that's the case, he's being a total dick to her. If his plan is to hook up with her, how is he going to explain that he does not have Arya? Um, yeah. I mean, I don't. I feel like I'm. I I'm maybe being a little patronizing here, but this man murdered her husband. Mm-hmm. That was a what what we consider in bird culture to be a dick move. Mm-hmm. Like he's already been a dick to Cat. Yeah. Uh. So I don't think. Because because. What is what is Littlefinger's love? I don't know. I honestly don't know. Like I think it's such a there is such a thing, but like I think it, it he 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 doesn't see Cat as a woman with her own agency and desires. It's it's uh is an object of his desire. Sure. Uh yet another objectification of 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 a woman here. So I don't think he has a problem with being dick move if if it's going to get her him in the end, and if you know he thinks that that that's, it's good for him, so it must be good for her. Mm-hmm. Um, it's pretty fucked up. In respect to Lady Stark, why does she immediately play Rob would never go for this? My math says two is more than one, regardless of gender preferences. Is she prostering? Is Rob that sexist? The Lannister line with Jamie is important, but can't be considered fundamental at this point, given the that we have the boy king, etc. I think it's because she doesn't think he's negotiating with her. Mm-hmm. She thinks he's there saying that he's going to bring this deal to Rob. Mm-hmm. Like that's that seems like a natural reaction. But I also, I don't. I think that you know most points. I'm very open to the idea of something being sexist. I don't think this is because it's not so much that there are two little girls versus Jamie. It's more Jamie's relative importance in his family with the fact because because it's it's not even so much that he's in line because at this point he is part no like that's the thing like i'm a little confused about does tywin think that he can get jamie to set aside his vows as a king's guardian and mm-hmm. renege on all that and been like like he's like okay yeah yeah yeah, yeah you're gonna be you're gonna play at this but then when the time comes to take casterly rock you're gonna fucking do it because i'll be damned if Tyrion does right you know, like I, I've always wondered, Maybe. like if if Tywin thinks he can swing that. I kind of think he does. Maybe if yeah. he had Joffrey under his control and he was the ruling as hand of the king behind the power, that he can make all that happen. Yeah, maybe so. But that's why uh, Jamie's more important than Sansa or Arya. Um, I think it's is relative. Like, I mean, like they're both what at best bishops, and he's a, a rook, if not a queen, in in terms of importance. Yeah, I mean, I. I don't think that it's not sexist, now, the, but the whole society is sexist. So it's yeah, like, yeah. you know, J- Jamie has been set up since birth to be, a, you know, someone who can handle responsibilities yes. and military command and things like that. Whereas, you know, Catelyn's saying two little girls, they haven't been prepared for anything that would aid them in battle. Right. And, and that's, I think, the difference is 
yes, it's sexist, but that's kind of just how it goes in that society. That's a know? good point. Like, baseline, yes. If you go back and say that, like, the options open to Jamie were never options open yeah. to Arya and Sansa. In fact, that's a huge part of Cersei's character development, that she's the opposite of chuffed to realize that her and Jamie are twins and they're identical in every way, except for she never got to wield power the way that a man would assume to be wielding power in Westeros. And that's one of the reasons that's, that's a lot of the the reasons that she's got the damage that she's got. But. Right. And I think if you were to ask Catelyn, is that sexist? She would say yes, but it's also how it is at the moment. Yeah. Like, you know, I'm not, I'm not condoning it. I'm simply saying that's how it is in this world. Yeah. But yeah, I don't. I think Rob himself. Now that's why I think Littlefinger is really shrewd here because Rob loves his sisters, but not in the way that his mom does. Yeah, and also Rob's got this pressure of command that even if he robbed the man, would 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 trade for his sisters for for Jamie Lannister. Mm-hmm. Rob the king just can't. Yeah, and and, and his men wouldn't allow it. Like his his men would inst- instantly turn against him if he did that. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the stakes. That's the stakes, and that's why Littlefinger's trying to circumvent it. Uh, Josh L. One added note on the topic of discussion regarding Varys's riddle. The riddle says the sellsword is confronted by a rich man, a pious priest, and a king, each asking for the sellsword's devotion at a cost to kill the others. Who holds the power in the room? The answer is the sellsword. The riddle is a test about class. To someone like Tyrion, the son of a high lord, the small folk are more or less pawns for the lords of the land. They do as they're told, and for their devotion, they're given justice, protection, and care from their lords. But you can hear the lords discuss the small folk, and it's almost always in a negative light. They're useless mouths in a war since they can't fight. They have little lives. They're effectively scenery for most of the high lords. To someone like Varys, who pulled himself up through the dregs of the world, these small folks are the people who together create the pedestals on which powerful men rule. Yes, power resides where you think it does, but it's not between the crown, the wealthy, or the faithful. It's between the ruling classes and the ruled. Someone like Tyrion, at this point in the story, can't see beyond the power structure of which he benefits, and I fully believe this riddle is Varys testing Tyrion on this point. Tyrion never considers that the man with the sword holds the power. The riddle fits with the idea that Westeros could be headed towards a more civilized form of representative government, maybe not a democracy, but one in which the small folk has some say. Uh, what do you think about the analysis of this riddle, Jim? I mean, I, th- I think... I mean, the sellsword has to believe that the power lies somewhere, right? And that if he's... You know, if he picks the wrong option here, he might also be killed himself? Yeah. Like, if, if the king has the actual power and he chooses to back the rich man, uh, he might get killed. So, right. I mean, but at the same time, like, the other two will be dead. So whoever he believes, I don't know. I mean, I guess, the so the analogy is problematic because a sellsword inherently takes money. Yeah. <laughs> and the rich man has more money, certainly, than the priest. Um, the, yeah. The king is debatable, but... Because that's the thing, like, in this thing, like, in in the way that Varys told the story, and I, I, I like your interpretation, but here's the reasons I disagree with it. Um, number one, I don't subscribe to Tyrion believing that the small folk are nothing. Like, I feel like even at this stage in the story, Tyrion understands that you cannot mm-hmm. fucking shit on the people and expect to have a long and healthy and peaceful rule. Um, and also, maybe there was a hundred cell swords. That the 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 idea that this is the people would would track better, but with one, it's more like, you know, who killed Ned Stark? Was it Illyn Payne or was it Joffrey? Mm-hmm. 
because it, this like the cell sword is more like the like like a metaphor for like some kind of gun or some kind of ex uh, like a uh, instrument yeah. of will that's being inflicted. It doesn't really have uh, because because it, it, the, the the riddle says that these three people are going to you know these like like try to have this discussion and, and influence the cell sword of who's going to kill and who ends up winning. Well, does that mean the cell sword made that decision? I don't know. I mean, I guess yes, in a way he did, but. The sellsword has societal limitations and roles and biases that are put on him, just like the other three. So, I don't know. It's yeah, it's it's not a perfect analogy. It isn't, um, which is why it makes it so tough to analyze it so closely. Yeah, I I prefer to sort of sit back and go with Varus's overall message here, which, regardless of how perfect or imperfect his analogy is, he has a point that he's trying to make, and that yes. is. The power resides where people think it does. It's more like you know what it is. It's like a, what is the sound of one hand clapping, or mm-hmm. does a if a tree falls in a forest, does it make a sound? It's it's a good way to talk about issues and see how someone feels about something in a very abstract way. Yeah, but that also. But makes if you it, get into the very nitty gritty details, it falls apart. When you start saying like, okay, the cell sword is the people. Well, which person is it? The person who just you know is content with a mug of wine and a whore once in a while? Is it the person that's very yeah. pious and hopes the you know like there's every people want different things. That's the hell of a democracy. Yep. You know sometimes democracy doesn't give the results that are correct. Um, so I, I it's it's like I said, good point. I don't. I don't fully agree with it, but I liked enough to read it. And, and, and in the end, that's the only thing that matters in a podcast. I suppose so. I, I think we should get to the spoiler section now. Okay. Uh, so this is the point in the podcast where we start talking about book shit and stuff that happens in future episodes. So if you are not caught up on Game of Thrones, uh, either the series or the book series, uh, you may want to skip this next part. And it's all it will always be here when you catch up, uh, ready mm-hmm. for your enjoyment. But uh, that's, that's, that's a good enough... You've had enough time to shut off the podcast. Let's get to the spoilers. Uh, right, okay. Um, real quick, I, I want to tell people, I, I'm i not sure if they know this, but we're going to cover everything from season two through season the end of season seven. So, Because like, there may be people listening to this who have seen seasons five and think, oh, I can go and I can listen to it now. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So this seasons is, two through seven, we haven't seen eight yet. but This, this is spoilers all. If, yeah, uh, if, as if much as we got. <laughs> if you're using the Reddit terminology. Okay. Uh, so someone said on the forums that we were spoiling season two with this whole dragon count thing. They're not wrong. They're not wrong, <laughs> and it's one of those things where they're not wrong, but also it's... You know, I do believe that that was in the trailer for season two, her screaming, oh. where are my dragons? So mm-hmm. it's also an extremely ticky-tacky point, but I'm I'm trying real hard to be blameless when it comes to spoiler stuff so we're going to uh move this into the spoiler section um and i also want to say we didn't get a where is my but we got a screamed my dragons and her threats outside the gates of court so and, <laughs> okay. and and it's not a great performance because it's not a great scene is, are you going with a schrodinger's dragon thing no, I, where I'm going you're to not where, sure if they're in the box so, so or this not? has gone from me proving myself right and the listener wrong to now like analyzing the cultural phenomenon because it's 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 gotcha. undeniable yeah. that this was a meme that everyone accepted about the show in fact yeah uh i've, I've had multiple people forward me this pretty funny youtube thing of amelia clark saying where is my everything? Like mm-hmm. she's just like like you know where is my coffee? Where is yeah, my is where is funny. my where is the bathroom? Where is the toilet paper? Like it's it's pretty funny. So mm-hmm. she's leaning into it. It didn't come from nowhere. Where did it come from? 
Uh, gotcha. And I'm saying she had a pretty like. I I remember Daenerys being kind of shittily written and her scenario being mm-hmm. like even more frustrating than it is just as we talked about in the preseason that you got a situation where Danny was this badass person to birth dragons and she's swearing blood and, vin- and and fire on her enemies and now she's essentially a prop comedy in this fat man's tight tight 10 minutes set you know uh-huh. outside the gates of Karth so I feel like this is where it kind of begins her screaming and yelling about her dragons and being completely impotent about it it's not I'm not even going to put a half dragon where my dragons count I'm just saying I think it begins here okay episode 4 uh, do you have anything that you want to talk about I already talked about um, they're not, not being, in particular now the, the whole scene with the Samai bullshit doesn't, it doesn't exist I also do you think, because in the book, so like something that's in the books that's a fact is that like all of the Stark children have some sort of green seeing and warging dreams except for Sansa because her mm. wolf was murdered almost in the beginning. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of fans that thought that this line with Lancel raving at court about, you know, Rob, uh, you know, being a warlock that's using a bunch of magic wolves is kind of hinting on the fact that Rob is doing better than you would expect because he's using Grey Wind as like the second sight scout. Hmm. That like not even in t- like like Grey Wind in patrolling the woods and and Rob sleeping, he's getting these insights and these gut feelings that he then exploits. And I I, I believe that to be true in the books. Do you think this is something that's being suggested in in the show? Not very well, really. If that's if that's the case, yeah. If that's what they're going for, I wasn't picking it up. It's funny because I sat up a little bit when I saw the scene start because I thought, oh, this is going to be when we're going to get some kind of weird wolf style cam of these two guys farting and whatnot. And because and, that's how I remember it. But mm-hmm. it's not actually how it went down. So mm-hmm. if it is, if they are trying to nod towards that eventuality, I don't think they did a particularly good job. Uh, and anything else we want to talk about for future events? I don't know. I mean, I, there's. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff here that you could talk about, like Joffrey and his attitude and his, you know, right. what kind of trouble I, gets him in. But we've I said don't, so I don't much want this about to be it. like, oh, we see how later Roz gets crossbowed yeah. to death. Like, it's, it's like this isn't like obvious shit. This is more like stuff that jumps out or is particularly right. interesting to debate in hindsight, I guess. I guess there, there's an interesting relationship developing between Roos and Rob. And they have obvious disagreements in how to conduct themselves. And I feel like. Rob only wins the day here, um, this conversation here, because his sisters are captive. Mm-hmm. And if they weren't, Roos would argue more strenuously or maybe go behind his back and just start flaying people. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, you know, when he mentions, hey, they have my sisters, and mm-hmm. if we start flaying people, they're going to do the same to them. Do you think Roos is true blue for Starks right now? It, that's what I mean. Like, I'm not certain about that. Um, I, feel I, like- I don't know when when the betrayal happens, honestly. Because I feel like that's the thing about Roos is I don't think that he's necessarily an evil character. I think he's very pragmatic. And as soon as he sees, as soon as he he's a very he's he's like the other side's Tywin. And as soon as he sees Rob shit the bed diplomatically, yeah, which then leads to some military reversals. He's like, well, I'm because. You know, Rob being king in the north is kind of a promotion for all the lords. Mm-hmm. Like, they go from sub-vassal vassals to, like, lords paramount mount in their own rights and their little fiefdoms in the north. Like, that's that's kind of a promotion. But so I, I think I think Roos is. Like, I'm. he's trying to help this young king. He's given him the best advice that he knows. Yeah. Uh, but 
But, I mean, they clearly have different attitudes on oh, things. Oh, sure. I don't think Rob, even if his sisters aren't captive, wants to torture people. No. But I don't know. Like, where do you stand on that? Like, if you're the quote-unquote good guys, do you want an advisor there with the shadowy advice because someone right. should say it? Or yeah. do you think that should just never even be an option? No, I think people, someone should be thinking about it. Because yeah. if the other side is capable of it, you need to know that, and you need right. to understand how they think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, Tyrion talks about this a lot in season seven. But yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think it's important. It's just something that you probably shouldn't consider actually doing. Plus, like most, yeah, that's the thing is like you know, like we talked about in the opening, like torture largely not working, and the the cost, the moral cost for your own side employing it, but also. You know, like the like like are there times like in the the largely mythical like uh, twenty four cents where there's a ticking time bomb and this guy knows the code and you can break a few fingers and maybe like it's right. it's it's whether he's tough enough to hold that and like you can verify like there maybe there's some times where you can employ torture but it's just like really edge case kind of stuff and maybe you mm-hmm. want someone on your advisory council that's that's willing to be like hey maybe torture. I honestly don't know. I've never been a president or a commander. I don't know if that's useful or if that's, you know, because the other thing is like, you can say like every intelligent being knows that torture is a thing. So therefore it's de facto always an option. So like, unless you think Rob's just a fucking idiot, he knows he could torture people. And it might. Yeah. So like, I guess that's the other viewpoint. He knows he could, but I I do think, you know, the label of high road is not completely off base here. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. I think Rob is that kind of guy. Uh, okay. Let's get to our first feedback then. Jody says, okay, regarding Marjorie, is she or isn't she a virgin? Loris mentions to Rinley that she's, well, officially a virgin. Rinley seems not to care because obviously he wouldn't. Then later Sansa and Marjorie are talking about sex. Sansa asks, how do you know all this? Did your mother teach you? And she gets an, oh crap kind of look and says, oh yes, my mother taught me. Uh, what's your opinion, Jim? My opinion is officially she's a virgin. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I, of course, of course she's around banging people. Uh, I think, I mean, I think in the books they, I believe they make it explicit because one of the things that she gets caught up in is she, uh, ask a maester for some moon tea, which is an abortificant. Mm. Yeah. So like, obviously she's having sex with somebody. Um, but on the other hand, um, Lady Olena, which they haven't introduced yet. Like I have no doubt that part of the things that she learned at Lady Olena's feet is how to manipulate men. Sure. And, you know, maybe it's not like what the men don't know about how you got this experience isn't going to hurt them, my dear. Uh-huh. And you want to be able to be real good at that because it's a surefire way to, I don't know. I, that's, that's how I, 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 that's how I think. Yeah. Like it's, it's hard to interpret that conversation with Sansa any other way. Mm-hmm. Sansa's the good girl and, and uh, Marjorie's the one that's been around the block a while. Mm-hmm. Jake from Cincinnati, hoping you guys might explain why you think House Tyrell would back Rinley's claim in the first place. We know about Loras and Rinley's relationship and Marjorie, Marjorie later being betrothed to Rinley, but why would Lady Olena, who we learn is behind all of House Tyrell's plays, an extremely calculated back Rinley? I can't remember if Olena offers any explanation when we meet her in Season 3, but I also wonder what the book explains about this, especially knowing what we learn uh, what we begin to learn to know about Elena in later seasons seems to be very short-sighted play in hindsight. Interesting. I guess I don't, I don't know the exact reasons, but I don't see a reason not to, right? She's got to back somebody. Yeah, think about I mean, Rob would probably be smarter, but as he said, he doesn't really want to be the king. 
Right. Uh, he marries, you know, Marjorie off to Rob, and suddenly she's married to someone who doesn't want to be king. Right. And the fact is, is I don't think the Rinley would make a terrible king. Like, yeah, maybe yeah. a bad, like, a wartime. And that's the other thing is, like, when we say it seems short-sighted play in hindsight, the hindsight that Stannis conjured a magical fucking ninja yeah. warrior out of Melisandre's cooch and killed the thing. Like, Rinley is what made everyone... Like, everyone then supported uh, either Stannis or Joffrey, but, like, at this point, Rinley has the largest army, and he will probably win. Right, and, and especially because Tywin is distracted at the moment with the Lannister armies fighting Rob. Exactly, and he's very he's very good at motivating people, and he's very yeah. charming, and he's very good at working the relationships of the Lord and, and ladies, which is arguably, you know, like, as Rinley himself said, no, I don't think those banners are going to wor- win me the fight. I think the men holding them will. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that Lady Olenna made a calculated mistake unless you think of the calculated mistake should have contained the set of magical events that no one thinks is possible. Right. That's like, you know, saying that, like, you know, the Allies were, like, like you know, Russia was wrong to back the Allies because who knew the Martians were going to land in 1944 and whip <laughs> the United States and <laughs> France and England's ass? Like, yeah. dumbass Joseph Stalin didn't see the Martians <laughs> coming. Like, you know? Yeah, I mean... Nobody they, did. I, I would, you know... I would have a conversation about the merits of backing Rob. I mean, I think there's an argument to be made that Marjorie could have been married off to Rob because I don't, I don't know that Lady Elena knows that Rob, you know, doesn't want to be king. Right. Clearly, he's waging war against the Lannisters. She would assume that he would want to be king. Right. Um. I don't see any reason not to back the Starks. Honestly, well, but plus this all happened instantly. Like the like Rinley, Stannis, and Rob uh-huh. raising their banners happened all at the same time because this letter going out saying that you know uh, Joffrey is a bastard and like this this all happened simultaneously. So it's like you know you make the best call that you can at the time. And mm-hmm. also the other question I have, and I'm not set my mind in either direction, but I wonder how much actual power Lady Olena actually has. I've you always mean interpreted in High Garden. Yeah, I have always interpreted her as especially before the death of her son um having more of soft power. Like, Influence you know, because cuz she said power. several times in the books and I think in the show that she didn't agree with a lot of the shit that uh uh, her son did and like you know was very skeptical of his military leadership and all the, so like mm-hmm. I think that he's afraid to disappoint her and obviously Marjorie respects her a lot and that's the power I think she has that people confuse as hard power like she has got yeah. Marjorie's ear and Marjorie has got a hold on Joffrey and then later uh, uh, the, the, the sweet one <laughs> no it's very much what a was... Tywin situation right yeah 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 um, it, she's the same as Tywin. Tywin doesn't have the actual power in this family. Joffrey does, um, but but Tywin does have absolute power within the Lannisters. He doesn't have power within. Well, like, he's got influence. Power in he's, he's got that soft power over Joffrey, right? But who who has who's got more power of the Lannister family? Joffrey's a Baratheon officially. Well, okay, officially. Uh huh. I mean, I assume or I lump them all together. Okay, Cersei and Joffrey and Tywin and hmm. all of them. Yeah, I guess that's I, I you I think Lady Linus is a little softer because she is you got the lady in front of her and as we mentioned <laughs> this is a sexist patriarchal society but uh, I don't know maybe maybe there's a line in the books where actually she is pulling the strings from the very beginning but I never interpreted that as to be like she's always the one that's got the right take 
Yeah. And she survives because she kind of steers her own affairs clear of of a, a lot of the bullshit. But you know, the day to day decisions that Highgarden makes and her, like she's got input in it, but I don't know if she's got the final say. Uh, moving on with Megan H. Watching the fourth season of season two is once again reminding me how ridiculous the oh will Danny become the Mad Queen hand wringing is. The aftermath of the opening battle is disgusting. Uh, and brutal, and I would hardly say appreciably worse than the loot train carnage. The Tarleys were leaders of the opposing army who had recently, and in Dickens' own view, unethically overthrown their liege lords. On top of that, Tyrion's supposed angst about the use of fire was always absurd, given the context of the Battle of the Blackwater. And various memories of thinking I'm not the one doing it regarding the Mad King's abuses are ridiculous, as the Mad King was roasting people alive for torture and sport. The instant execution by Dragonfire isn't any less just or honorable than death by sword, which is we, what we all seem to believe is fine. Yeah, 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 yeah. But you're missing the point about Tyrion is not worried about the troops. Tyrion is not worried about the people being burned in armor with swords in their hands. He's worried about the people in the city, the innocent people being burned alive by Dragonfire. And... You know, again, is it wise to burn these respected military commanders when if you burnt the father, maybe the son would come along, or if you give them both a couple times? Like, it's, it's easy to be battlefield bravado, but if you put them in a cell for a couple days or weeks, maybe they would see reason. Whereas death is Yeah, like, that's just a bad Or you've got strategies. You can use them as hostages. You can do yeah. a lot of... Like, I, I think it's more Mad Queen because... She wasn't making especially tactical or strategic decisions in in, yeah. in favor of rigidly adhering to what she thought in her own heart was right, which is how yeah. any like any person goes crazy, right? Sure. So yeah, I was speaking like in regard to flying over King's Landing and burning it to the ground. Yeah, that's yeah, killing yeah. a million innocent people essentially. Right, and you know whether the Mad Queen st- hand wringing is is absurd or not, like. I think the show itself is asking us to wring our hands a little bit. Like that's part, oh, it like, absolutely like, is. And multiple I think that's named absurd. characters are saying it, and whether it's absurd or not, like the show wants us to have be a little have a little moral panic about it, or else why are they doing it? Absolutely, I think the, the part where I do agree is that they're going way overboard with it. Like they've been doing this shit since season two, and guess what? It's still happening right. in season seven. Right. Yeah. So yeah, I'm on board with you there. Arden, is there a hierarchy in the White Walkers that developed late in the series, or do you think the more armored White Walkers we see later are simply a change in choices by the Double Ds on how to present them? I seem to remember the early White Walkers being much less armored and less sophisticated in tactics. It seems Mm -hmm. like maybe the late seasons might have had Craster's babies being led by a military leader, whereas the early seasons, the White Walkers that are being killed off might have been older White Walkers that were turned longer in the past. I'm not sure any of the White Walkers share any memories if they're turned while still being alive rather than be turned into white. Uh, on that note, if the Night's King is, has a subordinate killed and the Whites under that subordinate topple over from the Master being killed, does the Night King have the ability to just re-raise them and add them to his number? At some point, why wouldn't he just insist that he raise the dead or re-spell them unless that's just not possible? Then what if you kill him? Then they're all gone. <laughs> sure. I mean, I feel like that's what we're all saying if you kill the night king the whole show is shut down anyway so yeah there's little risk at putting all of the whites under his command i don't know i i don't know no one knows how any of this stuff works it's a little honestly <laughs> worrisome that we don't know it'd be like you a know bit, there's yeah. five minutes left of star wars and we're not sure if there's a button that destroys the death star <laughs> like 
you know that's an ass pull already but the later they make it it's big uh, the bigger the ass pull do the do do the white walkers have wardrobes do they do they change clothes or are they just frozen with the clothes they have on them when they died i have seen uh, that's a good question or when they were turned because i've seen white walkers on horses garbed like what i would like like essentially loincloths and that's it and I've seen him wearing these ornate, like, black armor pieces. So, um, and the double Ds, you know, like, we go from the Badass Mountain to the Mountain That Rides to the Strongman Mountain. Like, there's no real consistency there. And as the budget gets sure. bigger, they tend to go and re- go back and plus some things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's 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 really hard to tell whether what kind of hierarchy there is. Like... Are the loincloth dudes like the recent Craster sons that they haven't earned their their piece of place at the table? Is there an original number of White Walkers that are some kind of significant and they're the badasses rolling around the black armor? We 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 don't know. Do they do they like mount up? Do they get their armor on for a battle? Because certainly like at the yeah, maybe early going the they... loincloths, but then it's like yeah, you know early what? going it wasn't a war that they were waging, right? They were just out doing kind of stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you know, like the White Walkers wear armor not to stay warm or whatever, but presumably to deflect things like obsidian arrows. And although I don't know why, <laughs> why it seems to destroy them in one shot anyway. That's what I'm like, but is it if it touches their armor to destroy them i don't know like a dad yeah. is she like like a, how absurd does it get like i feel like that if you wear armor it should fucking protect you yeah like like it's got to at least pr- touch your skin before it bursts you into you know safety glass uh but the, the fact is we just don't know enough to say arden um vince C., when you guys were talking about lightbringer something occurred to me what if the legend of lightbringer isn't a legend of one specific sword but instead some sort of guide to making valerian steel Valerian Steel does seem to do what a magic sword would do, i.e. explode White Walkers. And in the real world, a lot of seemingly supernatural stories have some elements of truth. Um, Is there any merit to this idea? I mean, so the Lightbringer legend is this story about Azora High, and he has this wife named Nisa Nisa, and he makes a sword, and he quenches it, and it shatters it. He makes another sword, even longer and better. He quenches it in the heart of a lion, it shatters, and then he realizes he knows what he's got to do, and he makes another sword, even bigger and badder and badass, and he puts it through his wife Nisa Nisa's heart, and then it lights a fire and becomes Lightbringer. I sure hope that's not the v- recipe for Valerian steel because that's that requires a singular sacrifice every single time you make a blade. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't seem like that is like I don't know. I mean, the Valerians were slave traders. Maybe they did quench that that's a secret. You got to quench Valerian steel in like the heart of a man or a woman. Maybe the the wife is is beside the point. Hmm. But to me and a lot of other, you know, Lord or like Game of Thrones lore seekers this smacks more of a parable about sacrifice yeah that needs to that needs to happen to win something of value more than a literal sword sure but you know that's that's there there's nothing wrong with disagreeing with that there's there's little evidence either way mm-hmm. um Travis C. Does Alistair Thorne show up in King's Landing with a rotten hand that's decidedly not animated? I suppose we can say a full-blown white can make the trip and not a partial one because that seems less satisfying. Are we to assume the mechanic is simply different in the book versus the show? Um, My recollection is when Alistair Thorne, he gets to run around in King's Landing. 
and by the time someone in, it gets him an audience to the throne room, he's just got a skeletal hand that's it's no longer animated because it's simply rotted away. So I don't remember that stuff at all. I don't think it it might not. I think it happens in a show, but it's very low key. But in the books, okay. like it for sure, he's sent down there and they give him the run around and they keep delaying and keep delaying. By the time he gets an audience, it's no longer moving. And that implies that these things can rot away to a point where they can no longer function. Um, whereas that obviously didn't happen to John's. They brought him fresh. Now, the thing that muddies those waters, we've seen skeletal white walkers, or I'm sorry, skeletal yeah. whites in the show, but those aren't really a thing in the books. Hmm. So I, it could be the double D's playing fast and loose or, you know, whatever. But yeah. I, I do think there's a little bit of distinction there. Uh, two, on John being named Aegon, wasn't the original baby Aegon murdered before the birth of Jon Snow? A lot of people were thrown off by this, but I can think of plenty of reasons Lyanna would want to name him Aegon, whether to simply fulfill the prophecy her husband believed in so strongly or to honor his deceased son. Were they alive at the same time? Nope. Uh, Aegon, if you follow the official story, got his head, his brain smashed in uh, during the sack of King's Landing that happened quite a bit before the Tower of Joy shit. Um, and if you believe the unofficial storyline, he got spirited away to Essos, and he's now chilling as uh, the codename Young Griff. Yeah. Um, which I think that first that first one is his point, though, right? Like John was named Aegon as tribute, or or in some I kind think, of like prophecy fulfillment. I, I think that's the bid. most the most plausible. Yeah. Um, and also, it's also plausible that. There is going to be conflict between uh, Aegon, who I think is a false Targaryen or maybe a Blackfire Targaryen, and was Danny was warned about as, as this Mummer's dragon that in, in some of the the prophecies that I think Quaithe gave her to Warner, or maybe there was a prophecy. No, I think that was the Quaithe thing. Um, and then, then they're they're going to do some kind of bullshit drama between her and John, and so John's Aegon to kind of like take to, to kind of take that mantle. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I don't know. Like, I, I just think that, I think the Aegon in the books is not going to be anything but a speed bump on the way to Danny's throne. And I hope, to the extent that they're rolling him into John, it's no more a speed bump in their relationship. Because I just don't buy that John would be a dick about being the actual king to an extent that would piss off Danny. Yeah, you know, like I think he'd be like, oh well, psh, I abdicate. You're my queen. I'm the prince consort. Good enough for me. I'm going to really confuse all the people in season eight when I come back and I refuse to call Jon Snow John. And I just call people him People are already doing it and it's driving me fucking crazy. Yeah. If you, if you are on the internet <laughs> casually referring to Jon Snow as Aegon, you're kind of a dick. You're kind of a dick and everyone's talking about you behind your back. Stop doing it. Yeah. He's John. You can say John quote unquote Aegon Snow if you want. Yeah. Or just like, leave it at John. John's good enough. Yeah. I think John sees himself as John. How about Aegon, that? Aegon is the Toby. To 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 Jon Snow to Kunta Kinte. That's a horrible, <laughs> wow. inappropriate okay. reference. Aegon's his slave name, okay? That's uh-huh. exactly what I'm trying to say. That's exactly, and it's it, 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 the exact situation that LeVar Burton found himself. It's, 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 I don't know. He had a, he had a pretty rough under Catelyn, <laughs> I'll, I'll say. It's true. That's <laughs> yeah. true. She was not kind to him. She was the, she was the slave owner call, whipping him and calling him boy. Pretty much. And that's illustration. It's, it's, that's, that's, t- I, I immediately regret making it. Shame uh, on you. But on the other hand, I'm super angry at the people that, uh, yeah. And that, that justifies me being a monster. Nope. Nope. It doesn't? <laughs> no. Fuck. Fuck. All right. All right. Let's move on. Chris B. 
Uh, hey, while we're watching the early episodes of season two, it got me wondering just how and why Jack and Hagar came to be part of the group heading towards the walled thick black. Knowing what we know now, it seems odd to me that Jackin, a faceless man, the most skilled assassin, a master of disguises in the Game of Thrones universe, are you selling me faceless men shares, man? <laughs> Come on. Let's not suck the, the ghost of Jackin's dick too hard here. Uh, would be so easily captured. At first, I was happy to ignore this as it seemed a way of getting Arya and Jackin together so they can be, begin their arc. But on second thought, it seems a bit that something like this would just be thrown together as a matter of contrivance. Okay. So he, he propounds a lot of questions, but uh, just to make a long story short, what? Because I, I think we talked about this enough that you've kind of got a handle on some of the theories about this. What What do you think's going on here? That he's like here to recruit Arya? I I don't know. Do you want to go um, to the strong version of this theory? I, not really. Like I I oh. could also buy that he is. So uh, yes, when you sell it as master of the universe, Jack and Hagar got caught by some schmucks in the Lannister army, or like that's by gold a little hard to believe. City for, yeah. for what murdering a peasant or somebody uh, a scuffle he got in flea at flea bottom. Then again, I mean, wrong place, wrong time. Right? It can yeah. happen. Yeah. It can happen. I get that he's a master of, of unlocking things and sneaking and killing people, but he could still get caught. I do believe that. So maybe he's just there and takes note of Arya because of her demeanor. Um, or he could be there to recruit her specifically. But I don't know why that would be the case, really. Um, we still haven't found out information that would say he went specifically looking for Arya because yeah. X. I mean, the thing is, is the books and the show are silent for why Jack and Hagar is in the Black Cells. Yeah. We don't know. We don't know why he's with uh a Rorge and Biter. We don't know why he seemed to be cool serving as a Lannister armyman. Uh, we don't know why. Like, but there is a couple of kind of cool theories. One of the strongest forms is that for whatever reason, the faceless men took an interest in Arya and wanted to recruit her because they saw something in her. Right. Um, and that probably goes back to Cyril uh, Pharrell. Cyril, yeah. Is from, claims to be a swordsman from Bravosi right. and... Uh, you know, we're supposed to say we're supposed to believe that Marin Trant killed this man mm-hmm. when he's the bet. He's clearly an excellent sword fighter. He defeated three armored knights with a fucking wooden sword, and those armored knight swords are cl- sitting on the floor. Mm-hmm. Like you can't cartwheel over and grab a sword and fucking stick that into Marin Trant's belly. Really, uh-huh. really, really. Yeah, Marin Trant, world famed inept swordsman that no one <laughs> uh, with any skill of a sword is afraid of at any time in the fucking series. Yep. Is is this is this guy that can defeat the first sword of Bravos? Fuck that noise. Uh this theory goes on to state that Sirio foiled by his attempts to recruit Siri uh um changed his face, went down, got himself in prison in the black cell because he heard that Yorin was taking her up mm-hmm. to Winterfell and he wanted to be on that train leaving the city, and then happenstance he you i mean like the rest the rest is literally history i mean you watch the rest of the show so that's that's like the strong form of that theory the weak form is that you know he was in there doing some unrelated thing he's supposed to kill somebody um that either went wrong or he got sidetracked because he did see something in aria that intrigued him that might serve the mini face god uh, and because the other thing is like Jackins does a lot of other weird shit in the books that we don't often talk about because the books haven't have been paused for so many years. Like he's at the Citadel when Sam arrives, um, disguised as an alchemist. 
for huh. whatever reason. One oh, of the sand okay. snakes is up there too, yeah. un- undercover. There's like, what the fuck is he doing there? What purpose does that? So- if, if he is trying to recruit Arya, then what? What is he doing over in the Citadel? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, no one knows because again, the books have like the, the show's done the show thing, and the books have been silent on the subject for a long, long time. Hmm. So, um, but yeah, there's a, there's a lot of cool speculative theories about there. Uh, Tom from just outside London says, I was listening to your recap podcast of season two, episode one, and in the feedback section, you were discussing the idea of an ending where you pan out and see George R.R. R. Martin writing. <laughs> I have yet another idea. What if the show comes to a close, we see whoever might be sitting on the Iron Throne as they've claimed the Seven Kingdoms, and just as you think the credits are about to roll, everyone freezes. Anthony Hopkins steps in the frame and says, This is our latest narrative, a song of ice and fire in our new park, <laughs> Westeros World. Yep. Sweet, a sick tie-in. So season eight of Game of Thrones <laughs> is simply a preview for season two of yeah, Westworld. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or I that, guess season three at that, that point. That is a compelling storyline. <laughs> I want to sign up for the Jon Snow, uh, the Jon Snow narrative. Yeah. yeah, that that one takes more than a couple weeks, I imagine. Yeah, it's a sprawling seven-year arc uh-huh. that takes a billion dollars and <laughs> ends up with you sitting on the Iron Throne with Daenerys Targaryen in your lap, I guess, unless you're the lady, in which it's probably the reverse. Okay, That's the cool thing about it. It's a unisex plot. Yeah. You you come there as a well-heeled woman to Westeros for world, then you're going to be Danny. If you come as a well-heeled gent, you get to be Jamie. Or, sorry, <laughs> Freudian slip. You get to be John. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, let's move on. Spending too much time on a joke. Uh, Edward R. from Kansas City. Do you have any thoughts on what it means for the final season of Game of Thrones to be directed by Sapochnik, Nutter, and Benioff and Weiss? The Double Ds are interesting choice. I read it maybe only for the finale, which I suppose makes sense since they've been there from the start to finish, but I'm really excited about <laughs> Sapochnik and Nutter. Yeah, I feel like we we at least owe them that, right? If they yeah. want to step in and direct the finale of the series, let them do it. Yeah. Um, I imagine the spectacle factor will be at an all-time high. Yeah, that's to me when they're saying they're going to David Nutter and Miguel Sapochnik. They're saying to the fans, we are putting our uh, some of our best. Hold on to your butts. We are going to swing for defenses. And, and also, yeah, I'm not – I guess I, I'm not super worried about the Double Ds directing an episode. I mean, geez, like, do you really think that they've – first of all, I believe they've directed I'm, an episode before. Maybe. I don't remember. Um, but also, like, you know, there's always the first time, and these people have been running the show for seven years, so if they've, ne- like, I've they've been behind the camera, they've been using dailies, they've been giving, uh, directing notes to actors and, and whatnot this whole time, so I feel like they would probably be superb at it. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, I, 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 I'm, I'm right on. I think, I think it, it the spectacle factor will be at an all time high. Uh, Chad M, regarding Lightbringer, it doesn't have to shoot swords or light or anything like that, but perhaps it glows red and can cut through White Walkers' weapons the same way the White Walker weapons cut through normal steel. I mean, is John that... Sword already does that, right? Well, it cuts through White Walkers, but like I guess that gets to my armor point, that like it, maybe it can just cut through their armor or swords. Hmm. But is that, like I'm saying, like is that like, ooh, Lightbringer? And also, what does having one of those swords do? What if they just make a shield out of a tree or something? Like, <laughs> it doesn't have any magical powers against trees. I mean, that's the thing. It's like it's hard to find something that would be cooler than what we've already seen, which is swords on fire and swords making White Walkers burst into snow uh-huh. and not be like OP 
overpowered yeah, no, and I'm, stupid. I'm still hoping they pull something that that it is going to be something cool, but who I knows? think I think it's all a metaphor. Maybe. Randy, when I found out Jon Snow was 998th Lord Commander, I was bummed out because, like most, I thought him being Lord Commander would have some great historical significance to go along uh, with the actual significance. However, my new theory has me even more excited. Jon Snow, 998, Dolores Ed, Dolores Ed, rather, 999th, mm-hmm. and Jamie Lannister, 1000th. Oh, Aegon Targaryen, 1000. Aegon Targaryen. <laughs> yeah, he's, uh, he holds two non-consecutive Lord yeah. Commanderships under different names. And he'd be the last one, too, because he's, he's, he's undead. Yeah, he's trying to outdo Grover Cleveland. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I, so, I... Jamie, huh? I guess, like, why... So, to me, this, like, this... The reason I read this theory is because it's there is this cool kind of the deal like the thousandth Lord Commander should be some kind of significance, and a lot of people thought before John came back that John's going to be nine ninety eight, someone would be nine ninety ninth as a temporary. He'd come back to life as the thousandth, and that would unlock some kind of prophetic significance, and John would go forth and kick ass. Mm-hmm. Doesn't seem like it happens on the show. So now, and and also there's that scene where Sam's in the you know the libraries and saying like I really can only account for like six hundred Lord Commanders. There doesn't even <laughs> seem like there's enough time to be a thousand Lord Commanders. Uh-huh. This thing's kind of a mess. Like I feel like the double D saying us to kind of chill on that theory. Maybe so. But if you don't want to chill, the the one the one thing that I think is interesting about this theory is that Jamie has in the past been the protector of the realm in a certain sense, right? Yeah, with, with skewing with killing, honor and glory. Yeah, in exactly killing, the way a black uh, brother should. The Mad King. Yeah. yeah, so he might be a fitting Lord Commander. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, defending the realm. Yeah, I mean, like I said, but it's 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 hard to say. It's like a theory, you know. It's just like it's more right. of an idea or yeah. like. I mean, I'll, I'll go one. To me, if Jamie's the thousandth Lord Commander, like there's also a finality to that. Like he might be the yeah. last Lord Commander, and they just end up abolishing the like the wall. <laughs> the wall is useless. The, the now. wall is is got a big giant hole in it. It, it it's it's fallen. Um, the White Walkers presumably are going to be defeated once for all time. Um. I don't know, or maybe he's the first of a new. It's no longer going to be called the Night's Watch. Maybe they'll call it the Dawnbringers or something. I don't fucking know. But J- Jamie's Watch, yeah, <laughs> the Lannister Watch. Uh-huh. It's uh, it's 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 a uh, it's a promotional thing. <laughs> yeah, this Night's Watch thing it had too much baggage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You really just want to cleanse the palette here. Plus the Lannister gold that they get from painting the the gold line on the wall. Are you saying they build a, to... a wall of gold? <laughs> <laughs> I don't now, think they I, got look, it anymore. Look, guys, the ice wall didn't do shit. Let's right. try this in gold this right, time. Right, right, right. Maybe thing gilded is, ice. How are you going to protect that? Because like everyone's going to be stealing a brick off that. Oh, yeah, that's true. Anyway. Um, final email uh, from Sheridan S. regarding Germ's writing delay. I think what George has done is nothing less than update our mythology for the modern day. He stepped right into the shoes of Tolkien, who stepped into the shoes of the anonymous scops who brought us Beowulf, who in turn had stepped right into the shoes of Homer, and so on and so on in a manner of apostolic secession in the Catholic Church. Whether he finishes or not is immaterial. In some ways, to leave his tale unfinished and unresolved would be uh, the most modern thing of all, since solutions to our complex current problems up to which he has elevated our mythological impulses are tough and uncertain and unknown and may, in fact, never get solved. Or we may get cut off in our pursuit of the solution by God knows what, any number of things. Kudos and gratis to, gratitude to him either way, whether he releases book six or seven or not. Um, That's fine. I mean, but 
you know, in in another way, in a more real and concrete way, he has failed to set out what he did because I don't think uh-huh. in a million years you could convince me that George Martin meant to leave this thing unfinished as a way to say like, man, our problems are like unsolvable, man. No, like I just don't yeah. buy it. So, and even if that were the case, if that's the point he's trying to make, write us write an ending to your novel series that says that. Yeah. <laughs> Don't leave the books unfinished so that no one knows the point. I mean, I think you can leave something unfinished deliberately as a point. Like you can you can have like, you know, the the You can, certainly. Like I've seen it I've seen it done. Um it's it's not the worst thing in the world, but um I guess like this is like this is a fine apology for if George never finishes it and if you want to make peace with it as a fan. But it's not like rhetorically persuasive to someone that's not no. coming from that that like place of like I'm going to cut George some slack, especially when you hear everything he says about his future work, right? Right. The things how he's writing, he's writing 13 new chapters, and uh, they'll be out by X date, and the next date comes, and it's not right. It's not out. I mean, he doesn't sound like a man who is trying to make a point by leaving something unfinished. Yeah, and I I mean I agree with the whole thing that like he. Here's the thing you're absolutely right on. Whether he finishes or not, he has made an important contribution to popular literature and fantasy mm-hmm. literature. For like, sure. Like, probably the most significant since Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Um, but, like, even with that admiration, there will always be a giant fat asterisk if he doesn't finish this fucking thing. Mm-hmm. Sp- and, and the only thing that the Double Ds have done in finishing themselves is shine a giant fucking spotlight on that asterisk to yeah. where... Uh, the average person could be forgiven for not seeing anything but that asterisk. Sure. So, yeah. I mean, again, like I'm not, uh, you know, I, I, I got a lot of complex feelings, but I'm not, I don't, I don't have any hate for, for Martin. Uh, I'm disappointed. I think he's disappointed himself. I think that like, I can't even imagine how miserable he must be on a daily basis thinking about how this opportunity has passed him by mm-hmm. and to what extent he could have presented it. I don't know, but like, it's got to just eat him up. Like, if it was me, it would absolutely eat me, eat me up. <laughs> Maybe he doesn't care. Maybe he's just out on it by I don't his think pool. That, it doesn't seem like it's though. Chilling. seems like he's, he takes the shit personally. And I, I think I'm he gonna, should. I'm going to give it at least a few hundred years before <laughs> I start comparing him to Homer or the person who wrote Beowulf. Homer's like, overrated. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I've never and who, read. And who knows how how good Beowulf was in original English? No, no, no one can stand to read it. We're just we're essentially like like there there could have been liberties. There could have been liberties in the the Grindel plot. <laughs> there probably were. Yeah, the TV series of Beowulf really got in the way. <laughs> they were they were doing live action stuff back then on stage, and it was right, right. You know, he just couldn't write fast enough. The live action happened every night. Uh, every the, night. The sex position scene between Beowulf and Grindel's mom. Did we really need to see that? <laughs> You know, I don't. I don't care how. Did you ever see the animated version of uh, no, Beowulf? I didn't. It was something else. Yeah, it was something else. It had Crispin Glover as the screaming <laughs> Grindel. It had uh, boy. It had uh, Laura. Who's played Laura Croft? Uh, uh, Angelina Jolie as uh, Grindel's mom. As a very kind of like a look just like Angelina Jolie kind of really kind of thing. yeah okay like interesting choices just cast a digital actor like that. Mm. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like I said, I, 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 that, that's that's the thing where it breaks down is like, 
was Homer considered Homer back in his day? Right. You know, like, like is George Martin going to be in the 500 years? Is he going to be put up with him and like Chaucer and all that stuff? Like, fuck if I know. Yeah, I mean, there's no way to tell in the present. You have to let it stand the test of time. People and like if it does. That's what, how you you point to those people and say this is seminal work. Right. Like modern modern audiences tend to shit on popular literature, and then you wait a hundred years or so, and then it's like, oh my god, Dickens is kind of amazing. Yeah. Even though his shit was the definition of like popular literature of the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like Lovecraft is amazing, even though he was like a pulp fiction writer of his day. Like same thing with uh, Edgar Allan Poe and countless examples. Jane Austen probably would be considered a bodice ripping novelist, <laughs> like somebody that had Fabio on her covers in her day. And people can't yeah. fucking stop spanking themselves over over her literary genius. So, and I'm not saying it's undeserved. I'm just saying it's 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 tough to say where George's place in the pantheon is going to be. I am comfortable with the Tolkien. Uh, comparisons sure. though because he's such a, a recent in the grand scheme of things writer as yeah, well. Yeah, like Tolkien's an example like he's hailed as kind of a G- probably cuz this is a fairly young genre. Yeah. You know, there's not yeah. a lot of uh like everything you see fantasy uh, uh fantasy wise is all based in like kind of like a bedrock of his work. Yeah. And like where what what was before that time like King Arthur? Yeah, I mean you had you know the the I guess stuff that would have been considered religions back in the day, you right. know, and now we consider it fantasy. Like, right. I the, guess that's true. The, you know, the Greek and uh, mythos, that kind of stuff. Like, right. All that was fantasy. All that, yeah, I view as fantasy. I, they wouldn't have at the time, though, right? Did they? Because that's the thing I always wondered. Like, I mean, the, uh, the Greeks and Romans worshipped these as gods, like, non-ironically, but, like, mm-hmm. some of the plays and stuff, like, did they think that was actually gospel? Like, this is what really happens? Or they're like, oh, this is a story using these archetypes that we're familiar with? Like, I, I don't know. Like, you, <laughs> Those guys must not be nearly as uh, wrathful and vengeful as the Judeo-Christian gods. <laughs> right. Because that one I don't think would tolerate stage plays based on uh, his using his name with fictional... <laughs> happenings yeah 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 but you know it's just like one of those things where like there's very little like it's it's hard to find like verifiable historical records of stuff let alone like what the fucking critics of the day were talking about you know plays and and whatnot sure so it will not be hard to find those about george martin though yeah it's i guess the end of our podcast are turning into just like science fiction fantasy literature talk but that's fine uh, I don't, is it is it i, guess I think so fine. yeah it's happening uh i'm powerless to resist it game of thrones at baldmove.com is where you want to send email uh you can also follow us uh simply at baldmove.com or you can go use our social media sources um facebook instagram twitter at or slash baldmove whichever one they require uh also we have our forums forums at baldmove.com if you want to Try out one of your outlandish theories there. See what the the bald movers think of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it is it is there to receive you. That's it. We'll be back for the next episode next week. Until then, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. See ya.